Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino with you live from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. Today we had the general managers and head coaches around the league talk to us at the podium. We heard from head coach Pat Shermer and general manager Dave Gettleman. We'll hear from both of them in just a moment on our program here from the Combine. Three two-hour live shows this week, folks. Today from 1 to 3, then Thursday and Friday from 12 to 2. We're stock full of guests. We'll have Art Stapleton today, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, Greg Cassell from NFL Films, Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and Bob Glauber and Madeline Burke as well. Paul, it's good to be back for another year doing shows at the Combine. Yeah, for sure, John. You know, last year when the Giants had the number two pick, there were a lot of headlines. Oh my goodness, who's it going to be? Will it be Chubb? Will it be Barkley? Will it be Nelson? Well, now the Giants are number six. And guess what? The mystery is even wider because there are more possibilities at six than there were last year at number two. And absolutely, and of course, the big story right now is all about the quarterbacks. That's all people want to talk about. It dominated both the press conferences for Dave Gettleman and head coach Pat Shermer. Let's start with the Giants head coach Pat Shermer, and he started by talking about Giants quarterback Eli Manning. Well, I think Eli can help us win games, and he proved uh, when we started, the players around him started playing better, uh, that he can play at a very high level and help us win games. So, yeah, at this point, I'd I want Eli back. He's back. Get ready to go with them. When did you fully expect him to be I fully expect him. And again, you're going to ask me about particular players. Dave will tell you, and he's going to speak to you later. I'm a body collector. I want to keep all the players we have and add a lot of new ones. And so um, I really feel that way. I really feel that way about, about Eli. When did you get involved in the Well, I'm intimately involved in it, um, you know, both the free agents and then and then obviously the draft players. And so um, it's very collaborative. Um, we all want to hear what everybody has to think about every player in every situation. Uh, we talk about it frequently with ownership and we just try to make the best decision. And if it's a matter of, you know, this player is no longer going to be here, let's get a guy that's better. And, and so that's what we're trying to do. Go ahead. You talk about being a body collector, and obviously there are a couple quarterbacks that could be there on the board at number six. What do you look for in a young quarterback? What do you value out of a potential Well, I think they got to have the the traits you're looking for to play the position, and you know times have changed. You know, there's quarterbacks come in all shapes and sizes, and then you obviously have to watch them play. They need to be productive. They need to make good decisions. They got to know how to throw the ball accurately, throw the ball on time. They got to lead their team to victories. And they got to do all the things necessary to play the position. And so that's what we look at. And we evaluate all the quarterbacks every year, regardless of whether um, it's perceived we might be looking for one. There's a quote you said last year about uh, preparing taller quarterbacks. How does that, that's made a lot of headlines the last couple of weeks. How does that fit in with Tyler? Yeah. I think you're digging into something. I, I think, you know, obviously the, the player has to be productive. And as I just mentioned, quarterbacks come in all shapes and sizes. You know, Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl. So, you know, I think you got to look at the total player. You got to look at his productivity. And you got to look at whether he fits. And I think we as coaches then will use their skill sets to the best of their ability to try to get the most out of them and help you win games. So I think that's. I'm sorry. What are you going to be looking for from Tyler? Is there a show you to yeah. kind of 
No, we're just going to try to get to know him, going to watch him compete, uh, try to find out who he is as a person and a player. Um, some of the quarterbacks we got to jump start on because of the Senior Bowl, uh, but Kyler is a is a you know young player that I haven't met yet, and so you know it'll start with hey how you doing? Does the baseball alternative scare you with Kyler? No, I, you know I'm going to kind of keep that. And that's going to run parallel to our decision making whether we like him or not. Pat, with you like being back, how important do you feel it is to, with a 38 year old quarterback going to the last year's contract, to try to get the next involvement in this draft class mesh with that? Yeah, I think we're always trying to, and again, there's, there's all these narratives and you know, the, the next franchise quarterback, you know, replace this guy, do all this. And, you know, we're trying to make our team better. And, and we certainly, you know, it's no mystery. Eli's closer to 40 than he was than he is 20. I mean, that's no mystery. And, and certainly, we're going to try to do the very best we can to get the best players, especially the one that's playing quarterback. That's Giants head coach Pat Shermer talking to the media here at the Combine. That's just a snippet of it. He talked for almost 15 minutes. Then he had another half-hour breakout session with the print media, Paul. And a lot of questions about the quarterback stuff. He talked about Eli, about how he pretty much expects him to be back. Um, does not mean that they will not necessarily bring another young guy to play under him. Um, not really that concerned about metrics with quarterbacks. Um, one other thing he said, he's watched every single one of the top quarterbacks in every snap they've taken this year. So clearly the Giants taking the quarterback evaluation process very, very seriously. Um, would like to see multiple seasons of success, but pointed out that in recent history, these quarterbacks off of one year have had success in the pro, so certainly not something that's super-duper important. Um, and then he talked about, and which really, frankly, we've got very few questions about the defense to either Dave Gettleman or Pat Shermer. I know. And, and he brought up <laughs> at the very end of his sit-down with, with, with the print media that they had to finish games better, and that oftentimes during the season came down to playing better defense and getting the stop when you need it at the end of these games. Well, Dave Gettleman later on reiterated the fact that the Giants were one stop away from winning three games during the second half of the season, and it would have put them at 7-1 and one after the bye. They just did not close out games. And it's it's look, everything Pat Shermer said today is what he said at the end of the season. The Giants aren't holding any secrets back here. Obviously, they're not telling people who they're going to pick. I get that. Well, they probably don't know who they're going to pick yet either. Exactly. So, right. But in terms of the logic and the football 101, everything is exactly the way it was supposed to be at the end of the year. The Giants have not suddenly decided to invent the wheel. They, they understand what football 101 and old school NFL is all about, and Dave Gettleman perhaps knows that better than anybody. And the major point Pat Sherman made in that statement, and I want to bring it up now, and then we'll have Dave Gettleman with more on the quarterback situation in general, but Pat Sherman was asked a lot about Kyler Murray specifically and his unique measurables, and he was asked about his quote from last year when he talked about you would like to have a bigger quarterback to see better, and that helps you at the position. It does. And, and he said, I think you're taking more out of that quote than you probably should, and that you have to evaluate a player on how he plays no matter how big he is. And if you look at a guy like Murray and you see what he can do and you see how he plays and if he can play with his height, you cannot rule a player like that out just because of his size. You have to see how he's able to play with it. So I think a lot of people, and we saw this kind of a couple last couple weeks on social media, people saying, oh, well, the Giants traditionally don't pick a short quarterback. You can just rule that out completely. Both 
Pat Shermer and Dave Gettin were pretty clear today. Don't rule anything out at this early stage in the game. Well, they should not be ruling anything out. There's right. still, as Gettleman also said, a process to be completed. And you don't cheat the process. Um, Shermer's four things that he wants in a quarterback in order are decision-making, accuracy, mobility, and then arm strength in that order. The arm strength thing came up because, as you remember, when Davis Webb was jettisoned from this roster, people said, well, he's got the best arm on the roster. Why was he jettisoned? And Coach Schirmer said, well, that's only, on my list, the fourth priority. Now, in that conversation uh, last summer, Shermer indicated that he does like to have a taller quarterback. That's where that question came from. Correct. And, of course, in revisiting that now, it was a preference, not necessarily a priority. All right. And, of course, Giants general manager Dave Gettleman also had a chance to talk to the media today. And he started at least a part. We're going to play it for you, talking about what the impressions are of Eli Manning out there and how he thinks it might be a little bit unfair. The, the narrative around Eli for the past four years, five years since I was gone, was really negative. The narrative has been negative. And there's an old saying, you tell a lie long enough, you believe it. The narrative is so negative that when you take that position, most people struggle getting off that spot. Most people struggle, struggle saying, I'm gonna look at this with fresh eyes. So for example, all right, when, I'm, when, when you evaluate pro players, every year is a, new, is a new year. When you evaluate him, it's a new year. Yes, before he was at this level, but that doesn't mean when you look at him, he's automatically at this level or at this level. You've got to take everything for what it's worth at that time. And I think that The narrative has been negative, and I don't think it's been fair. Part of it. Yeah, you know, Tom, it, it's going to go hand in hand. We live in a blame society. That's what we live in. Okay, you know, I got in a car accident, it's his fault. No, maybe you ran the stop sign. You know, it's everybody's pointing fingers. No one wants to take responsibility. It's part, it's part of it. It's like, I told, like I said, Tom, it's the ultimate team game. You know? You don't, w you don't win it by yourself. You don't lose it by yourself. But, David, all along, you know, all that being said, at the end of the season, you pretty clear with the idea of you know your situation at quarterback. Yes, we do. Yep. So is the perception that you guys are sticking with Eli and for all intents and purposes kicking a can down the road to not have to make another decision no, it's no, it's not. A, it really isn't. It really isn't. Free agency hasn't played out. The draft hasn't played out. I, I, I don't think it's fair. You know, listen, I have this crazy idea that my responsibility is to every decision we make is in the best interest of the New York Giants. Okay? I, t I think I said this before. Ron Rivera used to kid me. He used to say, wait until you have to cut one of your draft picks. Because when I first got to Carolina, I didn't know any of those guys. You know, so I had to make moves and you, you, know, you, you do what you have to do. And when the time came, I picked and chose who we, who we paid money to. I'm going to do the same thing here. 
This is not, these decisions are not made with my hat. They're made with my head and, and, and with the experience I have. And, and I've been lucky. I've been around a few Super Bowl teams. I know what it takes to build one. I know what it should look like. And at the end of the day, I, I, no, I don't think it's fair. So conceivably you could see Eli Manning back on your roster for this year. Uh, yes. And another quarterback, whether it's a veteran or a rookie, to challenge him at that spot. Or yes. The only way, you know, it's really funny. You, you can't be afraid to draft over a player. That's Giants general manager Dave Gettleman talking to the media here at the NFL Combine, and he had another breakout session as well with the media afterwards. That lasted nearly an hour, Paul. He sat down for a long time uh, talking to all the beat guys, <laughs> talking to me and you and Dan Salmon. that's here as well. Uh, your overall thoughts on what you heard from Dave today? Well, again, Dave repeated a lot of stuff that he said at the end of the season. Nothing was really new here, to be honest with you, in my opinion. Now, the writers tried to pin him down, and as Dave himself at one point chuckled and says, I know what you guys want me to say. I know you want me to spell it out, but I'm not going to go there. I think the, the, the one thing that you might want to take out of this that's really new is when Dave said, I would really like to be that guy to find the next franchise quarterback. Now, in my opinion, Dave Gettleman's going to be GM of the Giants for several more years. I don't think this is a one-year deal or a two-year deal or a three-year deal. I think he'll be here at least four, five, six years. Who knows how many more years longer than that? And he made the point, by the way, that while he would love to do that, he doesn't think it's a necessity to do it this year. And that's where I'm going right, right now, John, because... Mm -hmm. He's going to be around for several more years. So he said it's not going to kill him if he doesn't find that next franchise guy this season. If he doesn't evaluate somebody that's worthy of the pick, he's not going to do it. It's that simple. He, however, did also mention that because of the odds of recent draft history, you usually do have to get your next franchise quarterback in the first round. Now, Again, that's based on the odds of history. And that's, we something, we, and that's something we said on the show many times. We've talked about it. Now, there are outliers. I mean, Joe Montana was an outlier. Tom Brady's an outlier. Russell Wilson is an outlier. It can be done. But, but Gettleman, again, acknowledging history, the first round is usually where you get those guys. By the way, we're going to have our first guest, Art Stapleton, at 1.30. So I'm going to open up the phone line. So get in now, and then we'll try to take some calls throughout the program at the end of some of our segments with some of our guests. But we'll do a full caller segment up until 1.30. So get on the lines, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Remember, it's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Uh, Paul, a couple other things that Dave Gettleman said that I thought were interesting very early on, and then later on again he talked about how instincts for his players are very, very important and how when he sure. drafts college players, one of the most important things that you can't really coach are natural instincts. And he was speaking specifically at the start of his press conference about the quarterback position, how you handle pressure, how you handle heat. But later on he said that applies for all positions, and that's mm -hmm. something that – is really important to him when he looks at players, and he doesn't think it's that hard to identify what players have great instincts and react the proper way under pressure. Well, again, that should not surprise anybody because Dave Gettleman is an old-school guy who watches film until his eyes bleed. And that's what happens when you talk about trying to find a guy's instincts. You're looking at his game films, John. The combine is the smallest part 
of a player's grade. Right. When it comes to his actual skill set and his talent level, the combine is minuscule because the instincts being the priority for a guy like Dave Gettleman, you're only going to find those things by looking at game tape. Absolutely right. A few of the things he talked about, he talked about the Kansas City model a number of times in mm -hmm. terms of how they develop Patrick Mahomes, where you have your veteran starter, you develop the young player behind him, and he talked about that being a possibility for how the Giants approach this again. Doesn't have to be this year, but something he would look at moving forward. Um, talked about the quarterback class, all shapes and sizes, different types of players. There are. And he talked about how he does like the class. Um, he talked about what he likes from the quarterback position. You mentioned Pat Shermer earlier. Dave Gettleman listed making all the throws, being athletic, but again, not necessarily being a running quarterback, but being athletic enough in the pocket to buy time or do what mm -hmm. you need to do with your feet. Um, talked about how it's tough sometimes to evaluate going from the college game to the pro game because it's not necessarily the same exact game, and that's the type of projection sometimes you have to make. And, you know, nowhere is that more apparent than with offensive linemen because they're all playing in that two-point stance now, John. And as Dave Gettleman reiterated, I think a couple of times during his presser with us, is that the senior bowl becomes very critical because so many of those drills, especially the one-on-ones, they're forcing the offensive linemen to get down in that three-point stance, which is what they're primarily going to play when they get to the NFL. And that's where you have to see those guys be able to execute the plays properly. The two-point stance, great. They've been doing that for two, three, four years in college. How can they do it with their hand in the dirt? And he mentioned that he liked the offensive tackle class and the pass rush class in this draft as well. He specifically said the bigs, the offensive line, uh, the tackles especially, the uh, defensive linemen and the edge rushers likes them very, very much. Uh, he was very clear where he thought the strength of this draft was. And, oh, by the way, John, it just so happens that he'd already identified defense as a main priority for the Giants at the end of last season. So I think you'd have to say that fits well for the, this, this ball club right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 100% true. Talked about Landon Collins' shoulder rehab, said it's going well. Um, talked about decision-making as to when you use the franchise tag. It and how it affects your cap space. And you have to, you know, people look at the total cap number available, and, and he gave some specific numbers, but you have to subtract $8 million or so from that because you need that type of money uh, over the course of the season to either, you know, pay off bonuses or, or if, if a player reaches a, an area of his contract where he gets more money, but also to sign veteran free agents during the year if things go poorly. So when you decide whether or not you're going to use a franchise tag, that's determined by how much flexibility you're going to want with the money you have left available to you. Yeah, Dave surprised me with that one a little bit, John. I, I usually kind of use the gauge of about 5 or $6 million you know, to have in your back pocket against the cap during the season. He said you need 8 to 10. Yeah, I thought that was a little high, too. I, I agree. I, I did. I did. But but that's what he said. You'd like to do that, if at all possible. He did mention that the franchise tag can be viewed as a distraction in some cases. And because his mission as a GM is to eliminate distractions, that can play into how he uses it, or for that matter, doesn't use it, or maybe as in was in the case of Carolina, took it off of Norman. Correct. One other thing, very quickly, and then I see we got a full bank of calls. We're going to get to them at 201-939-4513. He mentioned Sam Beal and their evaluation would be yeah. a second-round pick this year, which means using a third-round pick in the supplemental draft would be good value. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward in terms of how this cornerback class turns out this year. Yeah, let's remind folks that when the Giants took Beal and then he got to uh, the facility, he wound up uh, re-injuring an arm injury, which was something that he already experienced in college. He had had the surgery because 
because he was on injured reserve, he could not practice with the team. But he did watch, and he did a lot of film work and a lot of book study. And the coaches have told me they're very, very happy with his football acumen, his attitude, his eagerness to learn. They really think a lot of this young man, and I got a strong feeling, John, I'd be very surprised if he's not competing for a starting job. Well, remember, day one and two picks, you expect him to compete for a starting job, yeah. so I think that's 100% correct. And also reiterated, by the way, they did not sign Odo Beckham Jr. to trade him, and that's pretty much as far as he would go um, in terms of that particular situation that a lot of people in the media the are talking tried. about. The writers tried. They tried real hard. They tried real they, hard. They pride. <laughs> All right, let's do it. We got about 10 minutes of calls before Art Stapleton from the record joins us right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live from the Combine. We're 1-3 to three today, again, 12-2 to two tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. All right, let's do it. 201-939-4513. Let's start line three. Julian in Florida will lead us off. What's up, Julian? The QB class that you have now as far as uh, Murray, Haskins, and Drew Locke, can you, if you can compare them to the QB class of last year, how would you even compare Haskins to maybe the top picks of last year? Do you even put him above any of those quarterbacks from last year? That would be my first question. And the second question would be um, Sam Beal. When um, uh, with Sam Beal, did he, if he was available for the draft last year, would you have put him as one of the number one cornerbacks in like a first round pick or a second round pick last year, or or uh, how would you have? Put place him as far as uh, you know draft picks as far as the round. Thank you, Julian. Uh, Appreciate the yeah. That. Appreciate the call, Julian. Thank you very much. Well, we just mentioned Sam Beal. Dave Gettleman said he considers him a second-round level player, so there's no reason for us to you know disagree with that. Um, in terms of the other question he asked, Paul, I would not put personally from watching. But all the guys who I watched pretty extensively the last couple of years, I would put Haskins and Murray in the group after Darnold, Mayfield, and Rosen, depending on how you looked at Rosen's uh, physical issues last year with his uh, injuries. Well, you know how I felt about Josh Allen. I still think he was the best quarterback in last year's class, so he would have been behind him as well on my list. And I remember John Ledyard himself, the guy from uh, the Draft Network, he's coming on this week, I believe. He'll be on Friday. Trying to yep. make that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he is one of the, the better draft gurus out there who had already done an extensive amount of study when we had him on the program about a month or so ago. Yeah, was give it, it Hake. Mm -hmm. And he flat out said the highest he would be would be the fourth quarterback compared to last year's draft. I think he did have him ahead of Josh Allen, but he didn't like Allen as much as I did. So, you know, be that as it may, uh, certainly he would not have been, by anybody's stretch of the imagination, at least it appears consensus-wise, would not have been in the top three. That was. Let's go to Charlie in Portland, Maine. Charlie, what's going on, pal? Hey, Johnny, hey, Paul. What's up, Hi, Charlie? Hi, Charlie. How you guys doing? We're great, Charlie. What's up? Hey, um, I'm glad uh, Gettleman answered my question <laughs> about Sam Beal. Okay. Okay. My question was, yeah, remember my question was about, is, is, this, is he considered like a second-round pick or top-five cornerback? And uh, I think he thinks he is anyway. Well, you know, Charlie, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, and I, I don't want to cut you off, we'll keep you on here a second, but to be honest, last year when we talked to some draft gurus, did we not, John? They figured he would potentially be a second rounder if he stayed. Second or third. If he stayed, yes, yes second yes. round pick, yes. Last year they probably had him closer to the third right. round. Correct, yes. So that's not a surprise. What? It's not a reach. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I was hoping. So, uh, and the other thing is, John, what, what, you're, you two are going to be there. Look for the freaks. Look for, like, Tyree Jackson, 6'7". Look for these, like, 
these freaky guys that are just like like the 400-pound tight ends. And, you know, give me a report on some of these guys that you just look at and go, oh, my God, that would be fun. Um, I mean, we don't have any measurements yet, Charlie, so I, I, I can't really go there quite yet. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the call, man. We appreciate it. Jackson is Good a stuff. freak, by the All way. Right, you guys have fun. <laughs> you too, buddy. You saw him at the Senior Bowl, didn't you? Which one? The quarterback. From oh, Buffalo. yeah. He is. He is. He is a unique-looking quarterback. He's a large, yeah. large man. That is correct. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see what his bench press is going to be. I mean, who cares? <laughs> I just want to see it. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't have any relevance to the game. I just want to see it. 201-939-4513. I can squeeze in one or two more calls, guys, if you want to get in before you have Art Stapleton coming on at 1.30 from the Combine. Um, but, Paul, always good here, and, and I think it's important to note about the Combine and how the evaluation process is used, and I think you kind of touched on a little bit earlier. But when you take a look at these players, what happens in the games is always what matters most. And what happens here, the most important stuff is what happens in the interviews and in the medical, which we don't know about and we don't see. But that is the most important stuff when you talk mm -hmm. to coaches and general managers. In terms of the on-the-field stuff that the fans are going to watch at NFL Network or wherever they happen to watch it this weekend, that's going to supplement what you saw on tape. So if you saw a guy on tape, you think he's super fast, but then his times don't match up, you might take another look at it and say, uh, we'll see exactly how fast he might be, right? And then... When you have a chance and you look at a guy and you don't think he's fast on tape, but he runs a great 40, then it'll give you reasons to go and double-check the work you've already done. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it, John. There are uh, about 330 players who are invited to the combine. I don't know how many actually made it here for the check-in. Remember, the players are still checking in today. Right. And I think even tomorrow, right? Some Correct. guys are coming mm -hmm. in tomorrow. So we don't know what the final count is. But... You know what? I did a little research on last year's combine, and here's an interesting number for you. And we'll we'll talk about this with um, with some other uh, draft Nick gurus as we continue to go through our programs. But did you know this, John? One third of last year's players who came into the combine went undrafted. I know. One third. That's a lot of players. I know. Think then, about it. If it's 330, you're talking about over 100. And then you have a good 30 players that weren't even invited to the combine that do get drafted. So it's not the end-all, be-all. All right, let's go to Joe in Pennsylvania. He's up next. Joe, what's going on, pal? Hey, uh, uh, did you say that Beal was worth uh, a second-round pick in my hearing? Or? Well, Joe, I mean, we, we've said it twice already that Dave Gettleman said that he's worth a second-round pick in this year's draft, according to what the Giants front office might think. Uh, that was the way uh, they okay, perceived yeah. his value. Remember, it was a third-round supplemental they used. Correct. So if mm -hmm. you're asking what did it cost them, they're losing this year's third-round pick because they took him in the supplemental. I don't know if maybe uh, that's uh, what he wanted to know. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, I thought I heard that. I want to uh, go quick here. The compensation picks came out, and I was reading that we got court. Is that true? That what? I'm sorry? That we got a, uh, uh, um, I don't want to say a bad word. Did we, that the we, Giants we wound up, in. the Giants wound up with a fifth round compensatory pick. Correct. We tried to stress to you, and John, I did this I did emphatically too. on this show at least 15 times. The projections on the internet were not official. Everybody on the internet who said, oh, the Giants calculated maybe get a fourth and a fifth. I kept saying, hold yep. on, folks. Put an asterisk there. You don't know till it's in stone and it comes out because it's a mystery formula by the NFL. Yes. We can't figure it out. No. It's like the Coke formula. <laughs> okay? You just can't get it. 
And so the people who projected a fourth and five to the Giants turned out to be wrong. They only got a five, John. Yeah, and that's going to be the 171st overall pick, the 33rd pick in round five. So it actually is the best compensatory pick in the fifth it round, is. if that makes people happy. And uh, the Giants now overall do have... Let's see. Ten picks. Ten picks in this draft. Ten Let me picks. make sure I had that right. One in the first, one in the second, two in the fourth, three in the fifth, one in the sixth, and two in the seventh. Their additional picks came via the compensatory pick. The Eli Apple trade netted them an extra fourth. The Snacks Harrison trade netted them an extra fifth. And then the Brett Jones trade and Alec Ogletree trades netted them extra seventh. So that's where their extra picks came from. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by our first guest, Art Stapleton. Right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. We'll be back in just a second. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. We're now joined by Art Stapleton, covers the Giants for the record. Art, we had a chance to talk to both Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer today. And what were some of the important things you heard from Pat Shermer specifically? The thing that I took away most from Shermer is a question that I asked him about kind of two parallel universes. The idea of Eli Manning as the starting quarterback and then also what are you doing for a quarterback in the future? And in his mind... It could be two parallel timelines. The idea of you have Eli Manning as your quarterback, but also you're developing a quarterback down that stretch. Uh, so that was something that I thought was interesting. And the other thing from Shermer was how does last year's class of quarterbacks, and I heard you guys talking about it before yeah. I came on, compare to this year? And do you buy into the idea that, because we all love to say comparisons, well, this draft classic quarterback is nowhere near what last year's was, but then wait until next year. Uh, and Shermer said, which I thought was an interesting point, is that he always has that evaluation in the back of his mind. What happened last year? What he met, you know, the guys he met with last year, Darnold, Rosen, Allen, even going back to Goff and Wentz compared to the guys that he's going to meet this year uh, for the first time, really, because he hasn't met Kyler Murray, he has not met Dwayne Haskins, uh, and how that compares and contrasts in his head and how it affects the Giants' evaluation. So from Pat, I think those were kind of the big topics that I took away from. You know, one of the things that, that Shermer has, has told us, uh, Art, is that he's been very involved in the process. Yep. And I think a lot of people didn't know when Dave Gettleman got here before last season and when Pat Shermer was hired, how is that going to mesh? How is the personnel department going to mesh with the coaching staff? And it's quite, uh, quite obvious to me that he is very much in the pits on all of these personnel decisions. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, I think when Dave Gettleman came in last year, it was very important to him, even before they hired the head coach, to reshape how the Giants determined personnel decisions both through the draft and pr at the pro personnel level. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a collaborative uh, aspect to it that one of the complaints you heard of the previous regime is that as much as people's opinions were expressed – uh, ultimately, I don't know if those opinions were taken uh, beyond that. Maybe not weighed as much as they could have been. Exactly. And I think what Gettleman tried to do last year, even though he was the buck stopped at him, uh, I think he tried to make more of a collaborative effort, and I think Shermer is a huge part of that. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Dave wasn't supposed to talk to the media until 11.45. Pat talked at 10 o'clock. On the, on the podium and then came back here and we did a session probably for about 20 more minutes with the beat writers and, uh, you know, a couple other guys were there. Um, but Dave was here. 
Like Dave was there the whole time uh, watching Pat and seeing him. And it, and it wasn't Big Brother is watching. It was almost like I want to get a, fen- uh, get a sense of where my, at least this is my impression, I wanted to get a sense of where my head coach's mindset is going into this. Uh, not that they don't talk, but I want to see how the media is talking to them so that we could kind of be on the same page in terms of how we're addressing things uh, and what's to come. And then Dave, obviously, I think Dave somewhere is probably still talking to the media. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that that's kind of my, you know, but, again, everything that happened with Gettleman was such a different vibe than what Pat Shermer was. You know, Pat Shermer is really more about, you know, in the now, I'm coaching this team, and here's my process. And Dave's kind of the, uh, you know, the main event, I guess I will say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and let's let, let's get to Dave, and then we'll kind of take a more holistic view of the team, Ray Her, real quick. Um, Pat Shermer talked about Kyler Murray in terms of size not mattering, for lack of a better term, and yeah. that whole thing, wanting a big quarterback, not really his thing. He then was kind of not taken out of context, but don't take that too seriously. Um, and then Dave Gettleman talked about the importance of instincts at the position and how if the guy can play, the guy can play. So you're just kind of overall take, Art, on what, the impression is from those two guys on this quarterback class, which is really 75% of what both guys talked about while we had them off to the side. Right. I, I think, uh, first off, I'm, I am surprised uh, because I came in thinking that there's no way the Giants would consider Kyler Murray. Uh, his size, his style of play didn't, didn't really fit with what I have thought of the Giants and what this offense would be. But both guys went out of their way to make you not think that today. And exactly. <laughs> so is it a smoke screen? Is it a just, you know, you're trying to keep all of your options open? Probably a little bit of that. But I do think that, uh, to me, the main takeaway about the quarterback situation is that one thing that Gettleman said is that you can't buy into the idea of, well, okay, this class is this, but wait until 2020 because it's going to be even better. Because in his mind it was, well, I might like quarterback A this year, and I really like him, but you know what? Quarterback B next year is going to be even better, so let me wait and take somebody else. The longer you wait, you're just prolonging the inevitable for him. So I think that's kind of the battle that they're in. Um, I, I think they'll evaluate the entire class. Pat Shermer made a point. He has watched every play from this past season of Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. And I'm sure it goes for Drew Locke and Will Greer and Daniel Jones. I'm sure that is his evaluation. Uh, and Gettleman kind of said the same thing. So it's going to be about that. You're going to hear a lot about the Kansas City model. You guys have talked about it. That's what we've all talked about, the idea of the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes. Can the Giants get to a point where it's Eli Manning and rookie quarterback, and then they set themselves up? The one thing about Gettleman, to me, it's the overarching thing that he said. He called his consigliere, which I know you'll appreciate, his Ernie Corsi. (laughs) He said point blank at the podium that what Ernie gave – to the Giants, Dave wants to give to the Giants. And obviously, Ernie gave the Giants 15 going on 16 years of Eli Manning. That is at the heart of what Dave Gettleman wants for the Giants. Obviously, he wants to win a Vince Lombardi trophy. But I do believe that Gettleman, for the first time today, acknowledged the idea of, I want to give a franchise quarterback. And I think he actually joked back here when we were with the beat writers, the idea of, 
I want to be sitting on Cape Cod, <laughs> and I want to be watching the Giants five, ten years from now, right. whenever he's yeah. not the GM, mm-hmm. and I want to see the quarterback that I gave John Mara and Steve Tisch leading this team to a championship. He also said, though, it didn't have to be this year. He did. Of course yes, he did. Correct. Yeah, he did. And but it is a priority. There's no question about it. And he stressed the idea that he's at the beginning stages of his evaluation yep. process. Mm-hmm. He said, don't cheat the process. Brought up, again, he did it last year, brought up Theo Epstein, who obviously he respects from being, uh, you know, big, you know, Red so- with the Red Sox, and then obviously with the Cubs. Um, he said, you know, don't cheat the process. So I think that Gettleman is going in with an open mind, believe it or not. I asked him about the timeline and where he was last year when he was convinced Saquon was the guy. Yeah. And he said it was very, very early in his timeline, yeah. which we all know. I wonder if it was before. I think I bet you it started at the combine, and then shortly thereafter he's like, this is my guy. Yep, and uh, I don't anticipate that that will be the same thing. For I the agree Giants with this you. Year. I, I agree. Think, I think they will go in. Number one, you're not picking second. Now, of course, if Nick Bosa falls to six, yeah, real easy, but well, that's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, John, okay. <laughs> right. you got a couple of rabbit's feet. Right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, that that's kind of where, you know, where I'm at. I mean, obviously, and then the current roster questions – uh, that I know we we can get into about you know Odell Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. And, and and Landon Collins, but you know you guys are the well. Host. The the only the only thing that I thought Dave admitted to, and of course he's been very close to the vest on about anything that he really thinks about what's going on, and it wasn't a surprise. He's a hog molly lover. Yep. And he said flat out, the strength of this draft is with the bigs. He yep. really likes the offensive tackles. He really likes the defensive linemen. And, and those are going to be plentiful, and there's going to be a lot of high guys taken yep. at those positions, which, again, coincidentally, uh, Giants picking six, it's going to be hard for me to think that they're going to pass on one of those high-valued guys who is a big. Well, he was asked that flat out. Flat out, Dave, can you envision a scenario where any one of these quarterbacks would be the number one guy on your board and best player available with all the depth up front. It's going to be hard. He said yes. And no. he also said he that said, if the QB has a similar grade to the right. O-line or D-line, he's going, he's going QB. QB. And, and that mm-hmm. I thought he was put also He put his hands up like this. He goes, it depends on how wide it is. You know, I think they're, they they know the urgency, but there's a difference between an urgency and a rush job to pick a quarterback. They're not just going to take a quarterback for the sake of taking a quarterback. I think that's who, the perfect way to put it. Who would do that? Perfect way to you know put what? it. Who would do that? No mm-hmm. one would, in their right mind would do that. Uh, but the reality is they, they know where they're at. I mean, Pat Shermer made a point today, and it, it, it sounds an obvious statement. Eli Manning is closer to 40 than he is to 20. Well, no kidding. He's closer to 40 than he is to 30 or even 35. Yeah. So the reality is uh, I, I don't think – Shermer was pretty – I don't want to say adamant because I don't think he was adamant about anything. But just the idea of, you know, he expects to have Eli Manning back as the starting quarterback in 2019. My words, not his, but that's the impression I get. I think that's fair. I think Dave Gettleman is playing us a little bit. I think Dave Gettleman <laughs> wants to kind of leave that guessing game open a little bit in terms of what he wants to do. And part of the reason, and this is me talking, not not Dave, but look, uh, you know, I asked him point blank. Can you envision a scenario where you bring in competition for Eli Manning at quarterback? He hasn't had competition for that job in 15 years. And he said, yeah, yeah, I could. And frankly, Art, I think he's leaving it open that if they do draft a QB at six and they fall in love with the guy and the guy is unbelievable in the spring, 
then he's not going to go back and say, I lied to you. You right. know what I mean? Uh, so he uh, wants to leave the window up, which is understandable. It's so early in the process, yeah, something that, that he really stressed. Final thing I want to ask you, Art, before you say goodbye. I thought Gettleman's words on the um, franchise tag were interesting. Yep. And he talked about the financials, of, but also that the franchise tag can serve as a distraction. Yeah. And you have to decide whether or not putting the money and the distraction, all that together, is worth using the tag. And I thought the way he went into detail on that was interesting. Yeah, you know, is it posturing? Did did the kind of, you know, did the Giants kind of get their their back up a little bit the way things came out about Landon and the idea, the speculation that he won't sign the tag and he's not happy and all that stuff. The bottom line to me is this. It's $11.2 million for this tag. And Dave made it very clear he was not speaking in specifics about Landon Collins. Correct. We all, yes. know, we mm -hmm. all know he's talking about Landon Collins for this year. It's $11.2 million. Let's say that we all believe that Landon Collins wants a long-term extension and he does not want to sign the franchise tag, at the very least until July 15th. You now have $11.2 million yeah. out of what's existing in your salary cap space that cannot be touched. You need to start free agency and improve this team without that $11.2 million that is earmarked for Landon Collins. That is a big decision to make for this team. So coming in, I was convinced that Landon Collins would get the franchise tag. But when thinking about all of those aspects, uh, I think if you don't tag Landon Collins, everyone will go back to say, well, why didn't you trade Landon at the trade deadline last year? There were rumors yeah. about a third-round mm -hmm. pick. The reality is that things have changed. You know you're no closer to a long-term extension with Landon Collins. Maybe at the trade deadline last year you said, you know what, maybe we can get something done this, this uh, offseason. Then he went out and got hurt at the end of the season and missed all that time. So to me, the reality is that if you let Landon walk, you're taking a huge hit personnel-wise, you're taking a huge hit leadership-wise, you're saving that money. Uh, and then maybe next year you end up getting that comp compensatory pick back yeah. in a, in a three, you know, third round. Which would probably Landon. be a third because Landon is that good of a player. Remember, they said they need defensive playmakers, and Coach Trummer did say he's a playmaker, so right. that'll make it a very, very tough decision. You know, fellas, as Gettleman also said, the possibilities are endless. And one of the possibilities, which we have not even addressed, is you tag Landon Collins, and all of a sudden now there's an urgency to get it done by both sides. And within a few days, they get a new deal, and it lowers his cap number for this year, and everybody's happy. Well, unless it's also possible. Unless he refuses to sign the franchise tag, which he could, thinking that he's going to create some sort of leverage. Right. Uh, and, and then at that point, you're kind of hung up. You're caught. You never know. Because you don't know what to yeah. do. The one other thing I know I know you guys got to go right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting about the Odell situation, the whole trade Odell um, and all that speculation. Everybody heard what he said at the end of the season. He reiterated it today. We didn't sign Odell to trade him. I thought Dave's reasoning was interesting back here with the beat writers after the fact that wasn't on camera when he said, look, if I tell you something concrete and I address mm -hmm. a rumor or a speculation, then all you guys are going to run with what you want to run with anyway. Or someone is going to come up with a rumor and throw it out there anyway. So you're going to analyze what I say about Odell. You're mm -hmm. going to say we're, we're going to come up with a trade rumor, and then you're going to come back to me to want to respond. He said, I'm not playing that game. Hey, which is I'm fair. not responding mm -hmm. to every – I don't owe an explanation for every rumor that's out there. And I think Gettleman kind of – you know, he, he kind of said, basically, you guys can talk all you want. He's here right now. If I decide to trade him, 
I'll trade him, and then I'll explain to you why I traded him. But I'm not trading him right now, and you yeah. guys can banter all you want. And the one thing we've learned about him, he doesn't want to commit to anything because he doesn't want of to course. go back and say that I lied to you, which is understandable. You want to keep all your options. Art, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Okay, guys. Art, stay with him from the record. We'll be right back with Matt Miller from Bleacher Report right after this. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light, live from the Combine in Indianapolis. John Schmoke, Paul Dettino, and our next guest, he's a friend of the program, joins us every year at the Combine, except for last year when Zach Diazzi stole his voice. Right. And that is <laughs> Matt Miller from Bleacher Report. It's funny, last last year we went to St. Elmo's on Tuesday like we always do, and we see him at the table with Diazzi, and I get the text from the next morning, I have no voice left. I couldn't talk. <laughs> I remember. It's, it's hitting me already this year. That run from Senior Bowl, Super Bowl, and then I go home to Missouri, and it's always like snowy or rainy, weather sucks. And then I get back out, and it's just uh, it, it's tough. So, well, I'll give you double time this year to make up for it. Uh, well, it, it's great to have you. Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, also the Stick to Football podcast, which is a, a great um, asset for you folks that want to learn a lot about the draft. How would you compare this draft class overall? Let's start really broad, because you're our first heavy draft guy we're having on this week to lead us off. The quality and depth of this class, or if you want to look at the top five even, however you want to yeah. differentiate this class from what we saw last year. I think last year's class was better uh, at the top, especially. This year it feels like there's you know, there's three great players, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Quinn Williams. After that, you've got the four quarterbacks who are probably going to go first round, and they, they're okay, but not as good as the four who went highly last year in my opinion. So wait, do you have them after Josh Allen as well or after Lamar? Uh, after Josh Allen, not okay. after Lamar. Got yeah, it. but I, mm -hmm. I mean, I think you could, we could poke holes in each of the quarterbacks this year. Of course year, you can. Bigger than last year. So, no doubt. But it's a good draft. There's a lot of depth. It's, it's a great year for defensive ends, defensive tackles. It's a good year for depth at running back, wide receiver. It's a very good year for tight ends. So there are some areas where – it's very deep this year that it hasn't been in the last couple of years, which is refreshing. One thing that we have heard from a number of people to this point, and I'd like to get your take on it, is that you may have as many as 70% of the first three rounds go on defense. Yeah. No, no, that's very true. I, I think I have two offensive players ranked in my top 15 right now. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just not a great year for offensive, especially skill players. And we all know that quarterbacks are going to get moved up. It's, it's going to happen every year. We're probably see three go to the top 15. Mm -hmm. But it is such a great year where defensive line, the defensive tackle positions, there's going to be five or six drafted in the first round. The edge position, there's going to be six or seven. Corners going to be probably five. Three safeties. Two linebackers. So a huge part of, especially the first round, once you get past the quarterbacks, maybe one running back and a couple offensive linemen, it is going to be defense heavy, which if you have my job and you have to sell – the NFL draft to people to get them to watch it. It can be a little tough. Like, oh, my God, look at all these defensive tackles we have this year. It's so much fun. So thank you, Kyler Murray, for entering the draft because now people actually care about it. Okay, let, let's stick on the defense side of the ball because we're going to do a lot of quarterbacks with uh, Greg Cosell who's joining us at, at 205. After you get past those top three guys, I'm going to assume for a second they're off the table in the Giants pick at six, right? Clellan Farrell, you're looking at Simmons could have been there, but now obviously with his with right. his injury, he's not going to be there. Uh, Jakai Polite from Florida. How do you parse through the pass rushers after those top three? And do you think any of those guys are value at six? Yeah, I you know I would put Rashawn Gary in there as a possibility. He's another guy, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean mm -hmm. he could go forward to Oakland and be off the board, but uh, I I think he's someone that you have to think about there in that spot. I love his traits, the athleticism. He's more of a potential guy yeah, because we haven't seen a lack lot of, of production. Take. Yeah, right. Um, I like Farrell a lot. You know, he was productive at Clemson for a couple of years and was the best player on a very loaded defensive line. And I mm -hmm. think that matters a lot. You mentioned Jaikai Polite, uh, someone who's a little bit undersized for an edge rusher but had a ton of production. I like Montez Sweat from Mississippi State. who mm -hmm. had a great senior Very ball, long. A very long player, good athlete. So it is a good edge rusher position. I think the wild card's Ed Oliver from Houston. Where <laughs> does he fit in? Where does he play? Mm -hmm. 
I think this week's important for him. What's he going to measure in at? He's six foot, 270 pounds probably. And what is he going to look like athletically? He's rumored to run in the four fives, which is just unnatural for that size. Yeah. I want to I want to question Pharrell for a second. Because you watch him on tape. I watched his last four games of the year when he was probably playing his best football. I saw a lot of really good technique hand stuff, a lot of rips, a lot of swipes, things like that. But I didn't see that bend that you right. want to see when he tries to get around the corner. How much does that limit the top-end potential of a defensive end? He doesn't have that natural bend to really beat you with speed around well, I think the that's edge. what everyone wants. That's what everyone looks for is that well, natural. And, and with Furl, like the first thing in my notes on him this year was, man, he's kind of stiff. And, and you see that, but mm -hmm. he's still productive. And sure. You can watch the game against Alabama where he just, you know, mm -hmm. Jack hammers Jonah Williams. He tossed him on one play. Right. Destroyed so him. You see the power and you see the hand play. So I don't know that the lack of – elite bend is as much of a problem if you have strength that backs it up. You know, he, he looks sometimes like Justin Houston, who doesn't always have great bend, but can get to the quarterback with a lot of different moves. So I think ideally, yes, you would like a guy who has that hip flexibility and the burst, but it's not a requirement all the time. Well, if he had that, he might be a top three for sure. No, right. Exactly. Let me ask you about the, the pass rushers in particular. We all know how passing has become such a, a big part of the, today's game, and the edge rushers are so huge. Are you going to be able to find deep enough edge rushers in the second and third round that will be plug-and-play guys? I don't think so. I think there is a hard drop-off this year. You know, second round, you look at guys like Jalen Ferguson, who is not here this week right. because of off-field, but also because of an injury. Hurt. O'Shane Zimenez from Old Dominion, who has had a pretty good senior bowl week, but it also there were times he disappeared. No, he has, was very quiet has, some days. Yeah. has struggled getting off people when they get their hands on him. So mm -hmm. I, I actually think there is a pretty big drop-off where you start to look at guys who are clear projects and not plug-and-play type guys. So you're looking at once you get past those top five or six in the first round, maybe you're looking at third-round value after that, or, it, or it you might be reaching be, a little bit. It might be worth looking at third round where you're instead betting on athleticism and right. upside instead of you know production or traits like Jalen Ferguson. You know, led led the NCAA in sacks, very productive, but there are some questions about right. his game and now an injury. So I, I think you would almost be better off. And the Giants don't have a third because or they they do have one, right? But no, the, they, they, they don't do have Sam Beal. Yeah, right. Sam Beal, mm -hmm. uh, who. Uh, would have looked very good in this class. Let me go there. Hold on a second. Let me go, go there. We just had Dave Gettleman tell us he believes that he would have been valued as a second-round pick this year had he stayed. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree with that. He would probably be the, off the top of my head, the seventh corner in this class, which is a mid-round two pick usually. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, 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 right now it looks like a really good value to give up a three for him. Obviously, the injury, it sucks. You don't want to see that. But of course. It's football that happens. So, no, I think where they – you know, what would that be, like pick 67, 68? That's a really good value for Sam Beal. Now, what do you think about the corner class in general? And a lot of people are – some people really like Greedy Williams. I know he's more of a press man guy. Murphy from Washington is more of a zone corner, right? DeAndre Baker does a little bit of both. Are any of these corner top – 10 value, no. or are you looking at mid and first round? No, this, I actually, I, I didn't publish it, but I was working on a mock draft mm -hmm. the other day, and my first corner didn't come off the board until the 20s. Wow. And I was like, there's no way this happens. There's no way, no. because someone's going to fall in love with a corner. Someone will run well here, but it is a weird year for corners, because there's four or five of them, DeAndre Baker, like you said, Murphy, Greedy, Rocky Sin, uh, Trayvon Mullen from sure. Clemson. And there's five guys who could go first round, but they're all going to be somewhere between, like, you know, 19 and 32 is where they're going to come off the board. So there's not that guy like Denzel Ward this year. There's no Marshawn Lattimore. It's a good year in terms of depth, but there's not that top-end guy. How much would it surprise you if one of those defensive guys, and not necessarily one of the top 10 guys, came in and lit up the combine and all of a sudden somehow rose a heck of a lot higher than anybody thinks he would? It, I mean, it could obviously happen. You know, we see it happen every year. I, I think last year Terrell Edmonds was the guy right. who went first round, and we were all like, what the heck just happened here? But 
It, it, it can't happen. And from the safety position, Taylor Rapp from Washington could test very well and move himself not from a late first round to a, an early, you know, top 15 type position. Jonathan mm. Abram from Mississippi State, a similar guy. So I look at it defensively. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Devin White is kind of the forgotten dude because he's a linebacker. Really good player. Great player, right? But where do you draft a linebacker? They, they normally don't go very early in well, the especially round. Especially inside. Right. But he's like – Jalen Smith and Miles Jack were in college, and though they were, you know, elite prospects, he's on that same plane as wow. them, in my opinion. So yeah, he's he's, really he good. might be the wild card. He, you know, you've got a GM now who likes linebackers. That could run, absolutely. The one that, the one that didn't before him. So uh, it wouldn't be wouldn't be wild to see him in there. Every year we have you on here, we say, are there any offensive tackles in the draft that are any good? Finally, you can tell us yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you go sign one in free agency, and then, and then I can finally tell you there, there are, and, and particularly on the right side, Jawan Taylor from Florida, I think could be a top 10 pick. Who Cody. is in work? You're unfortunately, by yep. the way, with the hamstring. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Cody Ford from Oklahoma, very good right tackle prospect. And then even on the left side, Jonah Williams. I, I still love Jonah Williams. I'm going to go to bat for him every chance tackle I get. Tackle or guard? I think he's a tackle. Mm-hmm. He came mm-hmm. in at, what, 33 and 5'8 inch arms? Oh, did he? That's pretty yeah. good. That's good enough, right? Yeah. And that's especially just a with size. the tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we were saying with Cleveland Farrell, and I know Cleveland got him on one play. Jonah Williams dominated the SEC for three years, playing right tackle and left. Like, yep. Let's not overthink this. Let's right. just let him play tackle. He's really good at it. <laughs> but it is a good tackle. That's Andre Dillard from Washington State. It's another one that you have to throw in there. So it's a good year to need a tackle. Uh, what do, what do you, Little is the other one that people talk about. Also, right. and I've seen people love his traits so much. He's top yeah. 15. Other people have him as a mid-second. That's where I have mid-second. I, okay. don't, I don't love his game that much. He's someone I could see moving. He's very big, very powerful. And it's just a matter of what type of scheme. He's going to be a fit for some teams. But if you want a tackle that moves a lot, he's not your guy. But let me ask you this now, Matt. Last year, the Giants were the number two pick in the draft. And there were so many conversations about all these quarterbacks. There's going to be a lot of trade talk. Guys are going to be trying to move up. Guys are going to be trying to move down because they know some suckers are going to want to take quarterbacks. There was a lot of that stuff going on. Not as much this year because the quarterback class is not as sexy. So my question to you, understanding the scope of how much defense is in this draft and how few quarterbacks there are, what kind of trade movement are you expecting in this year's draft up at the top? Yeah, I actually think a lot. Uh, m- maybe not as much as last year because we saw it. I mean, it started the week after this last year with the Colts and Jets. So, uh, But I do expect a lot because there's a lot of different opinions about players. So mm-hmm. that, that allows for a lot of trade talk. And, you know, right now we're all trying to figure out what Kyler Murray is. You know, what is Dwayne Haskins? The interviews here are going to be so big for these guys. Daniel Jones, Drew Locke. You know, those four players could go in the top ten if teams fall in love with them. You or think Jones can go as high as the top ten, huh? There are some wow. people who really like him. Wow. I, mean, I mean, he's not that different than Eli Manning, you know, in terms of how they play their, their same personality, coach. same Cuckle, coach. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's easy to fall in love with a guy like that who maybe doesn't have the highest ceiling in the world, but you know exactly what you're getting. Mm-hmm. And uh, for all the talk about a bad senior bowl week, he had a great senior bowl game, and I think that's just who Daniel Jones is. He's a gamer. In general, and this will be our final one, Matt. Again, we thank you very much for the time. Bleach Report, uh, Stick to Football podcast as well. When you take a look at this class and you point to the players that you think, this guy could be a generational talent. The Giants drafted a guy like that in Saquon Barkley last mm-hmm. year. Is it just those top three guys you mentioned earlier, or do you think anyone else yeah. you know, can jump into that group? I, th- I think it's those guys, and then you have the trait players, who if they click in three years, we can look back and say, oh, my God, they were so athletic, like Rashawn Gary, like Ed Oliver. Those are the ones where you could see it if it if the light bulb comes on for them. But it truly is, I think, a three-player class with, with Nick Bosa, Quentin Williams, and Josh Allen. And Josh Allen, I, I think, is maybe even a, a step below those two in terms of being on that tier because yeah, he doesn't have the athlete. elite bend. Does he think he has the elite bend or I, no? No, and I think he struggles to get a blocks a little yeah, bit for right. someone who's 260. Mm-hmm. But he's a good player, really good player. He'll be a top five pick. 
Matt, we appreciate the time, my friend. Of course, guys. Thanks good for stuff. having me on. Appreciate, appreciate it, Matt. Matt, Matt Ellis, Bleacher Report. We'll be right back with Greg Cassell from NFL Films. Welcome back to Big Blue Kickoff Live at the Combine in Indianapolis. I am John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, and now we're joined by Greg Cassell from NFL Films. Greg, you joined us last year, and again, we thank you very much for the time. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Also does a great job on the um, film breakdown on the ESPN show. I think you NFL really, matchup? Yeah, really the good best. job this year. Though I looked up, and I, you guys were on at the Super Bowl. I'm like, what happened to Sal Pal? It took Sal Powell for the Super Bowl. Only because we shoot, we shoot it on Saturday, the day before, oh. and that's Hall of Fame voting day, and Sal's a Hall of Fame voter. Well, that, oh, boy. Believe it or not, as great as that show is, the Hall of Fame voting is more important. So, so yes, I totally understand that. Yes, Absolutely. Good. All right, Greg, let's start with the the main attraction here, and that's the QBs. Yep. Uh, we know Haskins is throwing. As of the start of the show, I don't know if Murray committed to doing everything here yet. I'm not sure if that's come out right, in the right. last hour or so. Um, your general thoughts first on those top two guys. I saw a couple of your scouting reports the line. I thought yeah. they were wonderful. Yeah. And just kind of give me a thumbnail on those guys for you. So who are we starting with? Murray and Haskins. You take your pick. Murray, I, you know. Who do you like better? Let's start there. <coughs> well. Very different players. But yeah, that's a hard question because I think that they have to be part of different offensive approaches. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it's you know, it's you're not comparing apples to apples. Because, you know, Murray to me becomes a spread quarterback, you know, where there's a lot of play action where he's in the gun, where you have RPOs, where, you know, you're giving him an opportunity to, to play a spread game. Haskins to me is a prototypical drop back pocket quarterback, which obviously played in the shotgun in college, but he's, he's a pocket player. He's prototypical. Um, one area I think Haskins needs a lot of work, and I think it will show up in the NFL the style of player he is being a pocket guy is he needs to get much better with pocket movement, being able to navigate within the pocket. Because when you're a pocket player, you have to be able to do that, particularly in an NFL where defenses have become so much more detailed, nuanced, sophisticated with pressure concepts. And he's not going to create. He's not a creator. And when he sees pressure, I've seen him panic. His yeah, feet get does. really bad really fast. <laughs> he does. And he has problems with his lower body mechanics anyway. Mm -hmm. Now, he's a little bit of a funky thrower, but there's no question he's got a very strong arm. Um, that's just the way he throws the ball. But, you know, I think that that's an area that he definitely needs some work. Um, Murray, is, Murray is simply going to be the eye of the beholder as far as height. It's as simple as that. Right. Because Murray is a fascinating player. Oh, he's fun to watch. And to me, the reason he's so fascinating is he throws the ball really well. Mm -hmm. Now, I took a lot of grief on Twitter when I said that he was a better thrower than Russell Wilson. And he is a better thrower than Russell Wilson. Murray is very much like... Mahomes. Now, he, Mahomes is freakish. Murray's not freakish as a thrower. But I'm talking about the looseness with which they deliver the football. Different angles, the whole thing. Yeah. Right, yeah. It, he's just a loose, easy thrower of the ball, just like Mahomes is. Russell Wilson is not a loose, easy thrower of the ball. So Murray's just a better thrower. Um, so he's, again, it's all going to be in the eye of the beholder. Maybe old school guys. I certainly don't want to speak for Dave Gettleman, but maybe old school guys think, oh, you know, he's five nine and three quarters or whatever he's going to measure, and that's just too small. Maybe new school guys, you know, the Cliff Kingsburys of the world, say, hey, this guy is perfect for my offense. We're going to spread it out. We're going to do a lot of misdirection, deception, mm -hmm. what's basically become college football, right. and that this guy fits perfectly. We're going to create the throws for him right. with all the things we do that create so much conflict for the defense that he's going to have nice, defined throws. 
I talked to three old school offensive coordinators in the NFL right. who said to me, Greg, you know, it's killing me. I know we run two thirds shotgun in the NFL nowadays anyway. A right. lot of teams really with do. eleven personnel, three wide receivers. It's so so frequent yeah. nowadays. But they still say to me, you know what? These guys, they're running shotgun all the time in college, and the footwork that you have to adjust to from being a shotgun guy to the NFL is still a critical area of review, and I just don't have enough confidence in a lot of these guys who can't show it to me. What not, do you say? Not according to Mike Leach. Yeah, <laughs> not according to him. Yeah, that's for sure. But I think that's a very valid point, and I think even when you talk to quarterbacks, and I've had that opportunity over the years to talk to Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and the footwork and the timing and the rhythm of dropping back from center is a learned thing. Now, right. I'm not saying it takes 10 years to learn it, you know. and obviously I'm not a quarterback and I didn't have to do it, but it's a learned thing. So does it take some time? Absolutely. You know, I remember years ago, think back to the Dallas Cowboys with Troy Aikman, who did not like the shotgun. He played under center. Mm-hmm. And think back to... You know, that skinny post throw to Michael Irvin, you know, it seemed like they did that every single week. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see much, many skinny posts anymore. And the reason you don't is not because of receivers. It's because of the quarterback. Because there's a timing. It's a five-step plant, shift your weight, throw the yep. ball, all in the same motion. Quarterbacks don't do that kind of thing anymore. Mm. So. I'm trying to play off your point that playing from under center is definitely a learned thing. Which gives credence to the Kansas City model of if you're going to draft one of these guys, no matter how high you think his ceiling is, you'd like to have him sit a year or two and learn something and get the experience and not necessarily throw him in right right away. You know, and the other thing that's learned, by the way, you know, since we're talking about this, is play action under center where you're turning your back to the defense. Mm -hmm. Very few college quarterbacks do that. That's and right. then if you're going to come in the NFL and go play action and turn your back to the defense, yeah. you know, there's that moment there when you turn around. Amazingly enough, the defense isn't in the same spot <laughs> That's right. before you turn. That's right. Or it's a different you know, guy coming on the blitz. Exactly. So, I mean, those are learned things. And, 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 again, I'm not going to sit here and say it takes, you know, forever to learn it, but you do have to learn it. Now, Actually, I want to ask you specifically about that power play action because the Giants used that to great effect in the second half of the year last year. It's one right. of the reasons their offense turned around. Right. A lot of two tight ends, and they use Eli a lot less under center, a lot less straight by right, drop right. back. When you're that small and you're doing that type of play action, you turn your back, and then you turn around, you have to get your vision right away. Now, i got to imagine it's difficult, but at the same time, your drop back's deeper, right, because you're running play action. So does that then open up the vision? How does height affect your ability to use the power play action from under center? I would say you would not see a lot of that with Kyler Murray. I don't think that that's the way you would go about... Because Russell Wilson does do that in Seattle a little correct, bit. Right. Correct, correct. Most teams do that on first down, sure. what we call shot plays, as mm-hmm. you're familiar with, yep. where they do it at a base personnel. They do it at a base personnel because most teams in the NFL will play with a single high safety against two tight ends, let's say, Absolutely. or three tight ends, or, or 21 personnel, two backs, if you happen to have a fullback. The Patriots. <laughs> right. Or the 49ers. Yeah, Kyle, sure, Kyle yeah, Shanahan's yeah. Mm-hmm. a big fullback guy. Um, so teams do it with a pretty good anticipation feel for what the defense will look like. And then they run route concepts 
that attack single high zone, cover three. So the quarterback pretty much has a single read. Got it. So when he turns around, he's not looking for, you know, scanning the field. He's looking for one guy that dictates then where he's going to throw the ball. Well, a lot of times you'll max protecting those spots, too. Without question. And Mm -hmm. only send out two receivers on some of those routes. Not many choices. Right. I want to follow up on that real quick, Greg, and then I'll get off of Murray. What other adjustments would you have to make to your offense if you're dealing with a quarterback of that size? Is it just deeper drops? Is it wider split for your offensive linemen? Is it the type of route combinations you run? What are the type of adjustments you would have to make to allow him to succeed if he only checks in at you know five nine right. and three quarters or five ten? Well, you know, I think you're going to end up running a lot of quick game stuff where the ball comes out mm-hmm. and, and then the rush is not a factor. Yeah, but he, he, he did like the bail a lot at Oklahoma a lot of the time when rush did come at him. Yeah. No, there's no question, I even made this this note, that shorter quarterback, this, this Russell Wilson does this all the time, but he's such a good runner that sometimes he then compensates by making a great run. But shorter quarterbacks will always have a tendency to leave the pocket prematurely mm-hmm. because there are times they just don't see it. And when you don't see it, you leave. <laughs> so that will, you know, always happen, that they'll leave throws on the field. And, and by that I mean the route concept will work, the receiver is open, but the quarterback bails because he just doesn't get a clear picture of it. That will always happen with shorter quarterbacks. All right, one guy who's not very short is Haskins. He's got a little bit more yeah. of, a, of a larger frame. Uh, the one huge knock that everybody comes down on him is, uh, hey, you only did it in one year, the experience factor. Uh, that's always one of the first things that gets said. Right. What are some of the things that you see in him, good or bad? Um, I mean, ultimately, I think Haskins is a very good thrower of the football. You know, I think that he's he's got a strong, powerful arm, okay? And I think that he's a pocket player with a big arm who can make every throw. You know, um, I think that the way he throws it, and, and I'm old school, is a little bit of an issue because his lower body mechanics are not very mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's he, uh, very often um, that he's very lazy with that. I don't think he's a pure anticipation thrower, but that can also be a function of the offense in which he played. You know, that's where they don't ask guys to really do that a whole lot like you have to do in the NFL. Um, You know, the pocket movement I mentioned. You know, my final point when I I did my my, – study of him was he's got higher level arm talent. I thought much refinement is needed in his game. There is a tendency for him to rush himself and play a little fast when there's pressure. Yep. Uh, because, you know, he's a pocket guy. You know, he's he's used to being in the pocket and being comfortable, which at Ohio State he was a good part of the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's something you have to, to um, think about. He definitely has tools. I didn't see him, although this doesn't mean anything, quite honestly, and I, and I know this, I didn't see him as a guy who was ready to be really effective as a day one starter, but depending on where he's drafted and who he goes to, that may mean nothing. He may be the day one starter. I got something I got to ask you, Greg, because you watch probably as much film or more than anybody else does. I, I sat down with an NFL corner to watch some of Haskins. Yeah. And one, yeah, interesting. Thing, one thing he said to me right away, he goes, all right, look, what is he doing? It's always the first or second read. Right. And, and, and he is consistent throughout the entire game, 
picking on the corner who can't play on the other team. Right. And I said, well, that makes sense because he's trying to win a game. And that's a coaching thing. Right. See, see, that's the other thing I try to think about when I watch tape, to be honest with you, is I try to think about the nature of the college offense that he's in. You know, it's always easy, and, and so many people now are, are draft evaluators, and again, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but when I see guys often say, well, he's not a good progression reader, I think you got to then look at what the offense is in college, what he's asked to do. Right. A lot of times these offenses in college – you know, are so well defined as to where the ball should be thrown mm-hmm. that you, you know, yes, maybe he's not. You don't see on film that he's a progression reader, but it's hard to say that he's incapable. Of, you don't know that. It's a, it's a question, right? And, and what the corner said to me though, Greg, and again, I'm interested in your take on it. He said, you know what? He's picking on the guy who's not going to make an NFL roster anyway. Nothing wrong because with that. Mo- well, no, no. Yeah. But here's the question. He said to me. I'm picking him off. I'm telling right. you right now. If he's going against me, right. NFL-level players who probably have at least two good corners, we're picking this kid off. Right. He's not getting away with the stuff he's getting away right. with at Ohio State. And that's very possible. You know, um, you know, I think in college, it's obviously corners are nowhere near as good as they are in the NFL. Um, you know, there were so many of those. Every team now runs what we call mesh. Okay, do you, mm-hmm. you know where the crossing the, the routes, two yeah. crossing mm-hmm. routes underneath. And in college, pretty much that's open all the time. And Haskins threw that all the time. All in the college, time. All the yeah. time. Yeah, right. In and that, so you can't blame Haskins for that. You can't <laughs> not, knock him down a peg. But those right. are easy throws. There are easy throws. They're yep. easy throws. Now I did find that Haskins made probably Greg a little bit more of those kind of NFL intermediate middle of the field right. 10 to 20 yard on time smaller windows throws than Murray was asked to from time to time. That's probably fair. I would say that's probably fair. And I, mean, I wonder if that's because Haskins can see it better in the middle of the field again because sure. he's, he's you know more stature. Yeah, I mean, look, Haskins is you know, I don't know what he's going to come in at. He'll probably be 6'3" he's not 6'5". Correct, right. But 6'3" <laughs> is big enough. I mean, that's yeah. not an issue. Um yeah, I mean, there were, Haskins made a number of, you know, what you'd call big-time throws. There's no question. I mean, he's got ability. Oh, we're not yeah, saying sure, he doesn't have ability. Course. You know, and, and look, we all know how it is. Four guys will probably go in the first round. That's the way it works. Now, whether they should or not is irrelevant. Right. They're going to go, and then depending on where they go, they'll play. I mean, look at Mitchell Trubisky. One-year starter, Bears traded up to get him at number two. Okay. We can debate whether he should have been the second pick in a draft. Right. Probably in an abstract world, no. And then, of course, they announce he's never going to see the field year one. <laughs> and then, what is it, he, by week three or four, yeah, he's, he's, he's the starting quarterback. Yeah. Now, he clearly wasn't ready that first year. Right. And, and you know, I, then obviously Matt Nagy comes in. And that's why I'm such a big believer in coaching. Because, you know, Matt Nagy is so good with his concepts that he could define so many of the throws for Trubisky. Guys, we're going to try to maybe take one or two calls with Greg Gosell at the end of the segment. 201-939-4513. Get on the line. Anything about the offensive skill position guys in the draft or around the league is fair game. You mentioned potentially four quarterbacks in the first round. I want to follow up on the point you made, Paul, very quickly. Okay, go ahead. Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, are those your yeah. next two guys, or is it Will Greer? Kind of no. Break, break down the rest of the class for us. Who do you like? Will Greer would not fit into that category. I, he wouldn't for me either, but I know no. some people do like him. Right. Um, Drew Locke, to me... I'm I'm surprised he's not getting quite the love that I think he should. Now, he has a couple of issues. 
couple of them are, are, are coachable. One is a little concerning, and, and I bet for some it might knock him down quite a bit, and that's the fact that he does show scattershot tendencies. A little inconsistent, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and Gunslinger. And those scattershot tendencies where he's not accurate, normally that doesn't get fixed, normally. Mm-hmm. But he's a great thrower of the football. Watching him throw somewhat reminiscent of watching a Matthew Stafford type throw. Wow. You know, this kid can throw it now. Same build, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and he's so, you know, again, um, my guess is he'll show well here in Indy because he'll look really good throwing it. You know, he's one of those guys that comes out easy. Um, I don't think Will Greer is a, a, a first-day player. By Neither do means. I. How about Jones, the kid from Duke? Daniel Jones, to me, is... I wouldn't call him a top 15 player in an ideal abstract world. Um, <laughs> but. You know, yeah, but. <laughs> it's it's you know, NFL. <laughs> I think that he, the kind of player he needs to be, and I even made that note. I said, Jones' NFL game must be built on pre-snap understanding and awareness, repeated mechanics, strong pocket presence and toughness, quick eyes, precise ball placement, and, and enough functional mobility to make something happen. The, to me, the comparison, the way he throws the ball, just throwing it, I'm not talking about other part, is a Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's, to me, kind of what he looks like throwing the ball. I know oh, we want to get to the calls. No, Let me ahead. get one more question for you on this, on this quarterback topic, Greg. Uh, Dave Gettleman just got done telling us that by far the most important facet that he needs out of a pro quarterback is instinct. Of these top four QBs, who can you say has the most instinct based on your film study? I'm not copping out here, but I don't know what he means by that. That's my problem. Because okay. instinct is a is sort of a catch-all phrase. And I'm saying this honestly. That's fine. Instinct is a catch-all phrase. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, that, that too. People use it a lot of positions. And to me, and I, I know Dave very well, and I love Dave Gettleman, uh, but I don't know what he means by that. So... You know, it's like when people watch a linebacker and they say he's got great instincts. You know, I don't – everybody would define that differently, I think. That's you know, fair. Like, like, for instance, when I talk about a linebacker, I'll talk about he's got great play recognition because he sees it really fast. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone calls that instincts. So does Dave mean by instincts that a guy sees it, you know, really fast? Is, is he using instincts to talk about the ability to eliminate what's not there and isolate what is there? And reacting to pressure, too, is right one there. thing you mentioned. Right. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, so it, it, it's a catch-all word that, in fact, if I see him, I'm going to ask him what he means by that. Go right ahead. <laughs> but but I, don't, I don't know exactly okay. what his definition is. Who's most pro-ready out of those top four guys, then? Pro ready is a relative term. Ah, I did it to him again. I'm sorry. It's a relative I'm sorry, term. Derek. I'm sorry. Um, well, does Cutcliffe give Daniel Jones an advantage because he has had the Mannings and we all know about his quarterback prowess? And, of course, Jones had a lot of experience. He played a ton of snaps. Right, right, well. right. Um, I've stumped him. Yeah, that's a hard question for me. You know, because, I'm proud of this, though, Greg. I yeah, stumped you because yeah. you're the man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. I think if Kyler Murray came in and played, depending on who the coach was, and I'm not saying he's going to be the number one pick in the draft, but if he played in a Cliff Kingsbury offense, I think he'd be effective. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. All right, let's take okay. a call. Let's go to Coach Marvin in Delaware. He's one of our best callers. He has a question for Greg on the <laughs> quarterbacks. Coach Marvin, good afternoon. How are you? How you doing, Paul? Hi. Uh, 
Go ahead, Coach Marvin. Ask your question for Greg. Yeah, um, I was just going to go over, um, you know, I talk, I talk to you guys quite a bit, and, again, I feel that we have a lot of options on our draft board. Um, I think we're still going to have to look at the quarterback and do our due diligence in those quarterbacks. Um, ask him. I, I, I hear what y'all are saying. <laughs> again, these kids, they get ripped down, and somebody's going to have to build them back up. What's your uh, question, Coach Marvin? Well, the, 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 well, I just had a statement. The only thing I want to say is I agree with, with Atkins where he is a, um, a guy that's doing whatever the coach is telling him to do when he's throwing the ball. But real one quick question is what does – I always talk about Sutton Smith. He's not going to be in the, the first few days. I just wanted to know what he thinks about Sutton Smith out of uh, North Illinois. Coach Marvin loves his Sutton Smith. He's that 230-pound <laughs> outside linebacker yeah, that had some, like, 18 sacks. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah. Um, I haven't gotten to defense yet. That's going to be after the combine. Overall, I want to talk about concepts because, sure. I, you know, when people talk a little bit about, Greg, the NFL game, and Dave Gettleman said it before that, you know, the college game is not the NFL game. But that's not the same thing that it was 20 years ago. No. More and more colleges sneaking their way in. When you see that on tape, what are the things you're seeing that makes you say, boy, the pro game looks a lot more like the college game? Well, I think when you see quarterbacks in the gun uh, and three wide receivers, you see a lot of the same pass game concepts in both college and the NFL. You know, I, I, Just I in terms of route combinations and things exactly, like that? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what Dave might mean is, and, and again, what you don't see in college hardly ever, there's a few teams, yes, but you rarely ever see 12 personnel, meaning two tight ends. You don't see that in the college game very often at all. Now, when you do that, if you're going to run the ball, obviously your offensive linemen have to have their hand in the ground in three-point stances. Very rarely in college football do offensive linemen line up in a three-point stance. They're mm -hmm. in a two-point stance because they're, every team's in the gun and they're sure. just they're pass protecting. So you, you evaluate offensive linemen and sometimes you don't have a real good feel for how they're going to down block or you know how they're going to drive block because they're not asked to do that. Right. So in that way, you know, the game is not the same. And you know, I think most people would agree maybe it's changing. You know, I, I try to sort of change with the game and then constantly think about the game and what I see. But I think at some point in the NFL, pretty much everybody does line up with the quarterback under center and run the ball, you know, sort of what might be considered nowadays old school, right. where they run the ball and your all linemen have to block and your back has to, you know, work inside and get hard, tough hard-earned yards. All right. Since we have Greg here, and he did so much yeah, film study on the quarterback prospects, Please. and I'm sure you probably have seen enough of Eli Manning film this year as well, too. Who's he play for? <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I'm going to make you general manager of the Giants yeah. right now, okay? And I'm not I'm not going to pin you down to which defensive player you would take. Though he may actually physically pin you down if you give the wrong answers. So, <laughs> right, right. Just I am an Eli Manning guy, Greg. Let me make that clear to you. Uh, do you believe that there is, quote, the next franchise quarterback here at number six for the Giants. Whether or not the guy sits for a year or two behind Eli, I'm going to push that question right. aside. Is that guy here at number six for them, or do you suspect, even though you haven't looked at defense, there will be a top-prized defensive player or group of defensive players that would push you away from taking a QB? My sense is, and a lot of these defensive players I watched last summer from the year before and haven't yet gotten to them, but I have a feel for what they are. Mm -hmm. um, my sense is 
that there's not a quarterback at six that I would pound on the table for. Now, having said that, it's quarterback. You, you The ultimate decision rests on what you think Eli is for a year or two. I mean, he's going to be the starting quarterback this year. That we know. I, my guess is, based on what I've seen, and I need to do more work, is that on your draft board, there'll be a defensive player at six yeah. who's more highly rated than the quarterback. Now, then it depends on where that quarterback is rated. If the quarterback's rated eight or nine, then you can take him at six. Sure. If he's rated 21st, you can't take him at six. Right. That's the way teams don't do the draft well. Well, you, you know? reach, you gamble, and you pay for it. Right. And again, I'm not saying because I wouldn't necessarily take a quarterback at six that none of these guys are going to be any good. I, totally understood. I, I just don't know. You know, I, I just don't feel like I jump up on the table for him. Jason in Portland has a question for Greg on the quarterbacks. Then we're going to say goodbye. Poor Jason, go ahead. What's your question for Greg? Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Real quick, now that Nick Foles is uh, staring us in the face as a free agent, why would he not be just as good, if not better, as an option than the quarterbacks in the draft? Well, I'll hang up and take the question off air. Jason, Thank that's a great that, that is a great question. I know you've watched a ton of Nick sure. Foles breaking him down this year. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was talking to a uh, an offensive coordinator last night who uh, you know has been in the league for a number of years, and we were just sort of talking about quarterbacks in the league in general. And he said to me, you know, Nick Foles. If you're going to really truly evaluate Nick Foles, he probably ranks from 18 to 25 in the NFL. That's where I have him too. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, you can line up and play with Nick Foles. We know that. We absolutely, absolutely know that. Yeah, they you want can a Super Bowl. The fact that he won a Super Bowl exactly. enhances, I think, what he is. But Nick Foles was a third-round pick. He's not a high-level talent. Now, I think there's a calmness to him and a poise to him that is really positive. And I think that he's a schemed quarterback. You have to run a certain kind of offense, which is okay. A lot of quarterbacks are schemed quarterbacks. Sure. I'm not saying that that's, oh, my God, terrible. But he's not He's not the kind of quarterback that you would, let's say, draft or sign and say, we, we can do anything we want now. we got Nick Foles. I think you have to clear have a clear-eyed understanding of what he is and what he isn't. Greg, final one before you say goodbye. Analytics are, I don't want to use the term, but I'll use it, invading the NFL. You see more and more people that are Another term escape. that needs a definition. Correct. Well, no, I, I'm being honest. No, and, 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 and I'm going to give it to you right now, specifically. The analytics community tend to believe that running the football is borderline useless. Right. And it, it, it is a passing game. None you of mean us, that you should never hand off? Not never, but it, the yards per play running the football is so much lower than your yards per play playing quarterback. That the only reason you run the football is to keep the defense a modicum of honesty to open up your passing game. And you should pass a lot more on first down than NFL teams do and things of that nature. How much from when you watching coaches and watching film what kind do you of passes see that? On first? I mean, again, n- n- this is why I struggle with this, and I'm not knocking the analytics oh, community at well, all. That's why I wanted to ask you the but, question. But I, I, I think it know, gets more complicated than they like to make it. Well, it's not complicated. I think it, they simplify it more than – than it really is. Right. Because there's so many... Vi- okay, so let's say, okay, don't run the ball, let's throw it. Okay, what kind of throws? What are you going to... You know, let's say you throw in a first down and it's incomplete. Then what's your throw on second down? Then let's say it's third and eight. What's your throw? I mean, it's... And, and also, what personnel packages yeah, are you throwing you know, at? That, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> what's your talent level, too? 
Exactly right. I mean, again, I don't know enough about it. And if some guy was sitting here who's into it, he might tell me I'm an idiot. And maybe I am because I don't, I don't know their business. Right. You know, um, and I know analytics are very important nowadays and, and teams literally hire companies. Sure they do. You know, and to, to tell, tell them what to do in certain situations. And that's built into their play sheets. It is, absolutely. No, mm-hmm. I know this. Mm-hmm. So I'm not knocking analytics. But to me, I think there's so many variables that I don't know, you know, I don't know what they mean. Like when you say right. throw, you know, th- teams should throw more. Well, okay. so I'll ask a more I'll ask a more specific question then. We saw the Patriots win playing away this year that a lot of people thought was extinct. They used the fullback more than any other without, team in the league, without and it's not even close. They <laughs> right. played so much twenty-one personnel. Fun. They ran it on first and second down all the time. Correct. I mean, they did all that sort of stuff. So, how much do you see the league continuing towards, say, what like the Chiefs are doing, for example, or do you see, you know, with Ezekiel Elliott, with Saquon? Barkley with these other great running backs. Do you see where do you see the league moving in terms of that battle between going wide open, spread, throw it all over the field, and old school run the football, power play action, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Well, why can't you do both? Well, you can. <laughs> that's a great answer. Why can't you do both? That, that's the best answer. I mean, I think the the larger point is the what the league is moving toward in some ways, and this is what colleges do, is offenses and, and plays, plays that are built on more misdirection, more deception, trying to create conflict for the defense. Right. That's what I think, that's where the college influx is. You know, that's all the jet sweep action. That's mm-hmm. all the, you know, the misdirection looks. You're trying to create conflict. Now, to give a broader answer to your question, John, so much of what you want to do on offense is dictated by your quarterback. Well, of course. I mean, let me look. You have the Cowboys in your division. Scott Linehan was in the NFL for a long, long time, okay? I know in Dallas they probably think he's an idiot. But he's been in the NFL for a long, well, long time. Given he doesn't have the job there anymore, right. you're probably right. Right. No, but I'm saying but I'm saying he's been a coach for a long, long time. Of course, yeah. Right? Okay, so do you, do we think that he doesn't really know football? Do we think that Scott Linehan doesn't know That's football ridiculous. in the past game? Well, and he's had a lot of success, by the way, in the right. league, too. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Why was the Cowboys' passing game as basic and rudimentary and remedial as there was in the NFL? Is it because Scott Linehan doesn't know any more? Probably not. Well, so why is that? Their personnel? Necessity. Probably their quarterback. Yeah, yeah necessity. So, again, so... You know, it's easy to say, let's do this, this, and this, and this is what we should be doing, but then you got to factor in a lot of other things. Greg, we're with you. Hey, awesome hey. stuff, Greg. We really appreciate, appreciate you coming it. on with us. Guys, love having you, Greg. Thanks. Love having you. Greg Cassell from NFL Films, Joe Marino from the Draft <laughs> Network will join us in just one second on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be right back. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. John Schmunk, Paul Dettino from the NFL Combine. And we'll be having one guy from the Draft Network on each one of our shows. And our leadoff hitter (laughs) will be Joe Marino. And Joe, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing with the site. You relaunched Mm -hmm. the site, and they have a great feature that I think Giant fans are going to love when they get ready to figure out what's going to happen in the NFL Draft. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, you guys can go ahead and be the expert on thedraftnetwork.com. And we have our mock draft machine that's up. This is a mock draft simulator where you can go be Dave Gettleman and make those picks, the players that you want for the Giants. And uh, 
It allows you to work through all seven rounds. You can use our predictive big board. You can use our consensus big board. Or you can make your own big board. You can rank the players how you want them, and the draft will simulate accordingly based on teams' needs. But then you get to pull the trigger when it's time for the Giants or whatever team you want to control. You control one, two, 32, as many teams as you want. So really great tool that we think a lot of people are going to love. It's been live for a few days now, and uh, we can hardly uh, keep up with everything on the site. We've, uh, we've had to do some things to make sure we can handle the amount of users. So <laughs> That's good. We've learned a lot about technology here in the last few days. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. What made you guys come up with that, if I may uh, kind of digress from the combine for just a second, because it truly is the first of its kind? Well, I'll tell you, it, you guys are going to have uh, some of our other uh, staff staff members on over the next couple of days, and it's just been the vision of, of all, all of us coming together and being able to have some, some great backing and, and being able to get this thing done. And, you know, we, the NFL draft has been covered uh, – pretty mediocre in our opinion for a long time we really wanted to kind of raise the bar and uh and and put together not only just great analysis but tools that people can use to be the expert and come on and uh and uh, take control and take our information and then apply it to the simulator and you show us what you what you got and so people went awesome sharing mock drafts with us we've been commenting back and forth and discussing them and it's really led to some great discussions and again it's the draftnetwork.com make sure you check it out and now Joe let's get into this draft class because yep. it, it's a, it's an interesting group uh, we had Matt Miller on earlier today he kind of had his top three guys in the draft Allen Bosa Williams and then everybody else after that. Is that how you guys see it too, or do you see it a little bit more muddy at the top of the first round? Yeah, I think Bosa and Williams one, two for me. But then at three, I can be convinced of a lot of different things, and these coming days are going to be very important in defining that. Talk but, to me. Uh, Who do you like? I like DK Metcalf, this wide receiver from Ole Miss. Now I think. Whoa. You, now look, there we go. We got a reaction here, but I'm telling you, this is the player with the highest ceiling in the draft in terms of an offensive player. We talk about all these great defensive players, but I, I mean the, the physical skill set with DK Metcalf is just rare. It's special. It's stuff that we talked about with guys like Julio Jones and, and A.J. Green. And Calvin Johnson. And too, Calvin right? Johnson. Yeah. I was a little careful there. We'll see if he runs <laughs> if he runs that 4-3 in a couple of days. We'll start talking Calvin Johnson. But he's just got rare traits. If it all comes together, he's going to be a dominant, dominant football player. So I'm betting on some upside there. I just think he's got, he's got gifts and stuff that you can't teach that get me really excited. So now if he blows up here with some of the skills at the combine uh, your projection won't be so shocking to people because all of a sudden he is going to shoot up yeah and you know we've been on this train since summer and, and you know he he kind of had the season we were hoping but obviously things got derailed with the uh, with the neck thing uh, but that's been cleared it's obviously non-spinal which is great news and uh, if he if he shows up like we think he's going to I don't think it's going to be that crazy I think the last receiver to me and I'm going to go a little old school on you who had that kind of bulk on his frame was Anquan Bolden he didn't have the speed yeah. or the agility that this kid has. <laughs> no, Please, yeah. I don't want to yeah. compare them in that regard. Yeah. But, I mean, I remember being next to Bolden after a game, and if he didn't look like some hulking tight end, even on the larger side, that's what I'm talking about. And I wonder, is there any concern, even though he has put up some great speed numbers and he's been terrific with his agility and his athleticism, that you know what, when he gets to the NFL, this muscle-bound guy is going to wind up having a lot of injuries, yeah, muscle pulls, soft tissue stuff. Here's where my mind goes with that. His, his father, his grandfather, and his uncle, 27 years combined in the NFL. Yeah. He's training at Exos, which is the most elite training facility in the world for preparing players for the combine in the NFL. There's no way that they're training this guy in ways that are going to be detrimental to his draft stock. Okay. So that's kind of what I'm subscribing fair. to. That's yeah. fair. Of the offensive tackles and pass rushers, Mm-hmm. Throw Metcalf to the side for a second. All right. And you're talking number six. Who are the guys for you that would legitimately be good value for the Giants at six of the edge rushers and the offensive tackles? Yeah, an offensive tackle, the name that I'm just 
highest on, Jawan Taylor from Florida. Uh, he thought he had a dominant season this past year. He's long, 6'5". He's got the long arms. But it's, it's, it's how well he performs in three critical areas. He's a great pass blocker, and he went up a, a murderer's row of pass rushers this, this year. A lot of the guys that we're going to talk about as options to draft that pass rusher, he faced them. So we don't have to really guess. He's played, played great competition and shut him down. SEC, obviously. He, yeah, yeah. That, he, he wins in space. I mean, this is a big guy that you, you don't see guys reach landmarks in space like he does. And so he can go out and hit a cornerback on the perimeter. He can go up to the second level and seal off linebackers and get down to safeties. I mean, he's really athletic. And then he, he moves people. I mean, you have no questions about this guy to move bodies at the line of scrimmage where some of the other tackles have really good footwork and really good athletic ability, but we've never really seen them fire off the ball and really move bodies. I have no questions that Taylor can do that. So at an offensive tackle, that's the guy that I would want if I was a Giants at, at uh, is it six? six, yeah. six. Mm-hmm. And then edge rusher, you know, that's, a, that's what's so interesting is because you could see these guys just going super early, but they could slide, right? So Josh Allen from Kentucky, that dude ran circles around SEC offensive tackles all season long. I think you got to talk about Brian Burns from Florida State. Now, he's a little lean. I think he's going to challenge to be 245, 250 this week. Real bendy, though. He's real bendy. He's real explosive. And he's probably, Bosa aside, probably the most technically refined pass rusher in this class. I'm very comfortable with how he sets up his pass rush moves and uses his length and uses his hands to really mitigate that surface area. And you can't block what you can't touch. And he has a really uncanny ability to get skinny around the end. And I love his variance. He's got to swim. Uh, he's got to spin. He moves inside. I just think he does so much as a pass rusher. He's going to be an impact guy. All right, let's stick with those two positions. Let's hypothetically say that Dave Gettleman decides, I don't see a franchise quarterback at six, and I'm not going to do that. Well, chances are he may not take one in the second round either. So if he he was going to say to himself, there's quality plug and play at tackle and at edge rusher, and he gets one of those in the first round, who could he get in the second round at either of those positions who would be a plug-and-play guy who could make an impact? You know, the valuation of this edge class is going to be so interesting to me. I can see six or eight going in the first round, and if that happens, if they all get snatched up, there's not going to be a lot of value there in the second round. And so you're talking about two premium positions, protecting quarterbacks and getting after quarterbacks. Sure. So, you know, I mean, part of that is going to be obviously what dictates after that pick uh, and and you know, who's available there in round two. But I, I feel like you talk plug and play, that was a word you mentioned there. I think Jawan Taylor at offensive tackle is the guy that I think is, is the most ready to step in right now and block people. And I like some of the pass rushers maybe round two. Maybe Montes, Montez Sweat gets there. Uh, maybe Ja'Kai Polite from Florida gets there. We're going to see. Those guys can get pushed down. Uh, but uh, I can see him getting snatched up. So, you know, it's going to be kind of a waiting game. Matt Miller said he doesn't have a cornerback on his mock draft going until the 20th pick overall. How do you guys see the corner? How do you specifically see the cornerback class? Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think, you know, I could see the, I could see him in play with Cleveland right there in the early, in the late teens. And then, yeah. Obviously, and that's Greedy you're talking about? Greedy, Byron Murphy from Murphy, Washington. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, I think those are probably the two guys you'd feel comfortable with in the second round. But I think the sweet spot for cornerback is going to be round two. Got guys like Justin Lane from Michigan State. Amani O, I guess his last name is tough, from Penn State. He's a good player. DeAndre Baker from Georgia there. I think if you start talking second round, you know, risky a little bit there with Greedy. I like Byron Murphy, but, again, that, that sweet spot's a second round. But then after that, I think the well pretty much dries up, and so I don't love the depth of this cornerback class. There seems to be a consensus, and Dave Gettleman has pretty much said anyway, the Giants need to get a lot of help on defense. All right, so if they need to 
get somebody who's going to help at all three levels. We seem to think, okay, linebacker, edge rusher, defensive end, edge rusher, cornerback. But what about safety? Yeah. They've got Landon Collins right now who is going to be an unrestricted free agent, may or may not get tagged, may or may not sign, but they've also got a free safety spot, which Curtis Riley manned last year. Don't think he's coming back. So is there a safety who, in your mind, I don't think anyone's there at safety at six. No. But is there a safety high second round or if they could get back into the third round that could get on the field right away for them? Guy I love is Nasir Adderley from Delaware. Ah, uh, everybody seems to like oh, him. Oh, he's so good. His tape is sensational. He might not – he's not going to be a top ten player for me. But I'm not – when I watch, watch tape, just specifically tape, he's probably got top ten tape in terms of these players. I mean, just really good football player. What I love is that he played so many different positions. He lined up mm-hmm. deep off the ball. He lined up in the slot, lined up in the box. And he just finds ma- ways to make plays in all levels of the field. He's a really quick processor. He gets after it, takes good angles. Ball skills are sensational. He's physical. Good return guy I trust him in man I trust him in deep zones shallow zones I mean he just does so much so we'll see how he how he fares I thought he was okay at the senior bowl obviously coming from Delaware you want to see how he plays against top competition so maybe not an immediate guy but I think he's got the best long-term potential let's see I thought he came out of the same bin as Jabril Peppers yeah, I like that because they both play deeper off the ball right. at times. And both still found ways to be impactful. And I'm talking about Peppers. I mean the NFL version of it. In Michigan, he really played right. linebacker. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah, because Greg Williams had him 30 yards off yeah. the field at yeah. the time <laughs> in those games. Yeah. Um, f- final one for me, linebacker. Um, I know a lot of people love Devin White as a top 10 guy. I think he misses a lot of tackles. You're not wrong. He right. con- yeah. <laughs> gets a little out of control when he goes yeah. after guys. How do you look at the linebacker class? Is this really of the positions you think one of the weaker groups in, in this year's draft class? For sure, especially after last year where there were so many good linebackers. But, yeah, I mean, Devin White's right there at the top of the list for linebackers. Mac Wilson from Alabama. Devin Bush from Michigan. How high do you have White going in, in, in your guys' evaluation? I think White's going to be a first-round guy just because he's so athletic. I mean, he But, went, like, top 10, no way. For me personally, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Got I think it. the missed tackles, and then I think his wires get crossed a little bit as a processor at times. And so I, I see the upside. I have questions. but uh, And yeah. also being inside, does that lower his value a little bit as opposed to not being an edge guy? No, because I think he's still going to play three downs. I mean, okay. his athleticism, his ability to play in space, I mean, go in any direction. Yeah. He'll be fine in that, so. Joe, awesome stuff, man. We appreciate it. Again, thedraftnetwork.com. Check out their mock draft simulator, their big board. You can put all that together, and you can do your own mock drafts from now until the draft at the end of April. We'll have more coming your way. Bob Glauber from Newsday joins us next on Big Blue Kickoff Live from the Combine in Indianapolis. We'll be right back. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live at the NFL Combine, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prize. It's John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, and now our next guest is Bob Glauber from Newsday, covers the NFL. Uh, Bob, we'll get to your book in a second if you want to show the folks, and we will talk about that. It's about 80s football, which Paul will – I'll just get out of the way, and Paul will ask Paul, you questions. Get out It'll of the way. It'll be great. 80s um, football, old, old, old school guys. Do you – do you – did you like 80s football? This is like 24-karat <laughs> gold to me, folks. Okay? This is what the real deal is all about. Before I started writing that, as I was writing that, you and I talked. You mentioned 80s football, and you said, I'll never forget this conversation. Bob, you know. You saw it, and it was it was great football. It was maybe the, the best football. Era. It was a golden era. And I thought back to that, and I said, you know, were we just a couple of guys who have seen this kind of reminiscing and being sentimental about it or were we correct and it was correct i mean there was those were iconic times and iconic games and iconic players and coaches 
was able to get a chance well, you know, to write about three of them. Anyway. We're here now. Why don't you tell us about the book, what well, it's about, and, and the title and all that good stuff. What yeah, called, called Guts and Genius, the story of three unlikely coaches who came to dominate the NFL in the 80s. And, you know, it's, it's Gibbs, Parcells, and Walsh. And yeah. people will say, well, unlikely, I don't think so. Well, I do think so because <laughs> if in 1978 you said to the average NFL fan at that time, hey, I got three guys who are going to dominate the next decade, next 12 years. Bill Walsh, Bill Parcells, and Joe Gibbs, their first reaction would have been, who? 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 Because no one had heard of these right. people. And they were very, very much unlikely, and all began very difficult. Part, you know, it was very difficult for them early in their careers. All of them thought they were going to be fired. Bill Parcells was going to be fired mm-hmm. after the 83 season. It had been determined by George Young and the two owners, Tim and Wellington Mara, he's got to go. And George, of course, tried to get Howard Schnellenberger out of Miami. He couldn't get out of his contract. And Bill was able to come back for another year in 84 and turn it around. But he was as good as gone. Nick Bonacani, there was a story John Mara told me that Nick Bonacani was a part of an ownership group, a would-be ownership group, for Tim Mara's share. So Bonacani is talking to the, to the Maras about buying that share of the team and said, hey, if I'm going to buy this team, you got to fire Parcells. That guy can't coach. Okay? <laughs> I am not going to be involved in something That's wild. where Bill Parcells is going to be the coach. Wow. That is wild. Things changed. You know, the one thing, though, that maybe shouldn't have surprised us, although none of us knew of these guys as head coaches at the time, is that each one of them, going back to their long-ago roots, had connections to greatness in the league. Yeah. I mean, for example, Parcells with Mickey Cochran and sure. Lombardi. You know, yep. so so the seeds may have been there. We just didn't realize it at the time because the seeds were buried underneath the grass. Yes, and I, what I find fascinating about Par- Parcells and, and Walsh in particular, they are the forerunners of a lot of what you see in today's game. Mm-hmm. There are connections, and I, I, I was blown away by researching this. There are connections with every single coach in today's NFL that go back to Bill Walsh and Bill Parcells. They are on the trees. Mm-hmm. And the 32nd guy that I had a problem with um, was in Arizona. <laughs> Kingsbury, right? Cliff Kingsbury yeah. <laughs> never coached for anyone associated. But, but, uh, but I asked him because he played for Bill Belichick in New England. Yes. Right? I said, what was your influence? Was there an influence of Belichick and Brady when you played in New England? He said, absolutely. They're the gold standard. I learned a ton from them. And then I followed it up with, do you take incorporate some of their ideas into what you do now? He says, no question. They go. are, you know, in terms of assist, strategic football, um, you know, the, the, the idea that Belichick always creates scenarios of what, you know, situational football, he calls it. He just goes on and on and on about that. So Kingsbury's in the group. So it's all 32 coaches go back in some way, either directly or indirectly. You know, Sean Payton. Tom Coughlin, mm-hmm. not, not coaching now, but the Parcells tree. And Belichick is on the Parcells as a direct branch of the Parcells tree. It was great football, Paul. That's because old school John. never dies, Bob. Well, it never dies. It and lives forever. Yes. And it was just the memories were great. And the getting to talk to the players and then Gibbs and, and Parcells were terrific. Talking to people about Walsh was great. What, what, are, you, what are you laughing at? Cause, no, cause it's you awesome. Love, yeah. He just loves it so much. He loves it so much. It's, it's, it's literally his favorite thing in the world. I mean, you know. <laughs> Do you have a copy of this, Paul? Because Not yet. Because I'd like to give Not this yet, to you. Not yet, but I will. I will sign it for you. <laughs> I'm serious. 
That's because, cool. Yeah. I'd love that. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Bob, you are kind of working the floor today, listening to coaches, general managers, Gettleman, Shermer. We've talked a lot about what they've said. Just stuff that you've picked up today. Well, what are some of the big themes and stories about the combine, the draft class, the league, whatever, that you've picked up working the yeah. floor today? Well, I mean, I think it's very early in the process, and, and I think everyone will tell you that. Everyone feels good about their teams, even the new coaches. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think there's anything to be gleaned. I was, I was fascinated by John Harbaugh. You know, I don't think you're going to see a change in replay uh, with, you know, adding pass interference or penalties. Judgment calls or non-calls, I don't, right? I don't think you're going to see that. John Mara kind of said it yesterday that he was skeptical there could be a change or would be a change. But John Harbaugh is really adamant that there should be judgment calls put in the instant replay system, in the coach's challenge Specific system. ones or all Spe- of them? Uh, pretty much all of them. Wow. Okay. You know, he believes it's like just – and he was very eloquent about it and just wow. saying what you want as a fan is to walk out of that stadium or leave that television set thinking that was a great football game, that was well officiated, that was well played, and whoever won the game deserved to win. Well, he's right about he's that. He is, right. And I tell you what, when he, when he said that, when he was done saying that, I was like, yeah. Yes, that's what people want to hear. Let me expand that question just a bit because the alliance, the AAF, is using some rules that to me are very intriguing for Mm -hmm. the NFL people to look at. Did you get a sense from talking to some of the NFL power mongers that they are in fact looking at the AAF to maybe steal some of these rules? I don't know that they would steal some, but they are absolutely aware of them and then perhaps putting another person in the booth the sky uh, judge a sky judge so I love that's it. right it, it is an interesting idea and, and you know you kind of correct the obvious wrongs now the league is kind of slow to adapt to that they don't go crazy on really novel things and they really have to think it through they're very slow the moving unintended yeah. consequences that's the phrase that they will go back to and goodell said it at his commissioner's press conference the unintended consequences of adding something to a challenge system that you don't expect you know if you if you if you include penalties and then you can you know kind of go down the rabbit hole of, well, if you go past interference, then a coach can say, well, there was holding on this play, look for that. Mm-hmm. So there are unintended consequences, no question. I don't think you're going to see a change that 24 owners out of 32 would agree to. Um, but I think the discussion is not going to go away. And that John Harbaugh kind of touched on something very, very near and dear to fans' heart that just you want to get it right. And that's the bottom line. When Bill Belichick used to regularly propose rules that would put anything under the umbrella of replay, anything, and it's coach's challenge. It's not going to slow down games. You're going to have the same number of challenges. But if you put everything that happens in a football game under the aegis of, you know, of replay, right. But uh, you can have Bill Belichick hour. finally gave up on that. He just doesn't propose it anymore because they don't they don't vote on it. Well, they just vote it down. That's also how you go to four hour college football games, which you have every week on yeah. Saturday too. So it's stuff you have to balance. In terms of free agency, Bob, we talked a lot about the draft already. What's your feel for how the free agent group's going to go this year? Are we going to see a lot of franchise tags? Will it be really fast moving once free agency hits? How active do you think it's going to be? Your feel from talking to people today yeah. about how you think free agency is going to go this year? Well, I think the free agency, the most intriguing position at free agency, is pass rusher yep. Demarcus Lawrence. Ford, a lot of good pass rushers, but I think at the end of the day, or at the end of the month, or whenever the transition, uh, the franchise March fifth, I right? believe, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a ton of really 
top caliber pass rushers on the market. I think D Ford will be franchised. I think Demarcus Lawrence will be either signed or franchised. How about Trey Flowers? Because I think Trey, he's the one guy that might make is, it. He is the one guy who really intrigues me. I don't think he will not be franchised. Bill Belichick will not franchise okay. Trey Flowers. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine him devoting that those kind of resources for one year for one guy. No matter how good Trey Flowers is. But I love Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers is probably the ultimate Bill Belichick invention. And <laughs> seriously, because like I thought he, it was Teddy Bruschi. Teddy Bruschi was was is one A, but I think Flowers is even even well maybe as good if not better because maybe he can Mike do Vrabel some too. Thing. See Vrabel, they're all they're all <laughs> like that. And if they, if Trey Flowers spent his career in Cincinnati, I don't think you'd be talking about him right. in these kind of terms. But Belichick is a mad scientist, and he's able to do with these players what no coach can really do and bring out the skill set that is so special to to Belichick and the way he game plans specifically for games for 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 opponents and and Flowers is the ultimate um, guy who can pull off what Belichick wants from his players so he's a very intriguing prospect and I think he will be available I think the Jets will take a very good look at him as will the Giants now he's going to be expensive I think just oh, because yeah. of demand Right, and if especially if those guys that we talked about, like the Demarcus Lawrences and D fours, do get franchised, there won't be as many available. And Flowers is that one exception. Who, pro- I I, again, I can't imagine that that Bill Belichick is going to franchise him and that he wouldn't be available. Well, that's not his mo. It's not. It's not. He and he traded Richard Seymour. Right, he trades everybody. Say, right? He yeah, care. it's like you, you, <laughs> you get a certain amount. If you make it to a third contract in New England. You're you're doing something right. Ma- oh, you're Tom Brady. <laughs> you're Tom Brady, or or Matthew Slater. Those or are like Slater. the two guys. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, McCourty is good. You know, he's going to get, get up close. there. Yeah. Right. Getting yeah. close. True. Bob, great stuff, man. We really appreciate time again. The book is Guts and Genius: The Story of Three Unlikely I never Coaches. I'd become this guy who came like, to dominate yeah. in the eighties. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Well, now pa- okay. now Paul's going to mug you Paul, for the book I, after no, it's I will, over. Okay? I, I will sign <laughs> this book for you. Believe well, me. Well, but you need to show it to your other people in the car wash, don't you? So why don't you get me one during minicamp? No, this is it. I can I have this one? I, yeah. yeah okay. This is it. This uh, is the cool. one. That's Bob Glover from Newsday. We'll be joined by Madeline Burke and wrap everything up from day one at the Combine right after this. We're back here on a Big Blue Kickoff Live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. And we'll be joined every day at the end of the program by Madeline Burke all week long, who's been roving the floor here in Indianapolis at the Combine. Madeline, how's everything going? It's going great. It's going great. We've got a lot going on here out here for Giants.com and all the social media outlets. We're going to be doing Snapchat. We should do one right now, actually. Let's say hello. Uh-oh. Say hello to the Snapchat fans on Giants. There you go. There you go. It's Paul Latino, John Schmelk, and the viewers. You have no idea. How much this is actually going on the Giants Snapchat right now. So follow along. We'll have some Snapchat updates. We'll have social media updates throughout the weekend. Uh, we're going to have insiders with a lot of media covering the combine, the draft process, and what the Giants may be doing as we know now. It's very far from the decision-making Correct, time. Yes. As Gettleman reminded us, Games don't start till September. We got a lot of time to build this team. Well, we I'm just should, happy you. Do. I'm just happy you got Dettino on Snapchat because that is by far his favorite social That's media a first. outlet. Yes. I love putting Paul Dettino on social media because he does not have it, and so I just like hashtag him. I'm like, we got to get him in this process, guys. You could totally abuse me in the most embarrassing situations, never. and I would never know. It. Never. Yeah, exactly. Right, no, so we're all big P dot fans out here. What 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 is what is the, the buzz? You've been here now for a couple days, right? Uh, we just got yesterday? here yesterday. Okay. Yeah. So 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 what what is the the buzz and the flavor of the combine compared to last year, because I know you were here for us last year as well. Yes. 
Is there more people talking about the defensive players, more people interested in the quarterbacks, well, or is it Kyler Murray taking all the headlines? I would say the flavor, other than steak, which, of course, John and Charles <laughs> both had, like, nearly 40 ounces of meat each last night. So that was substantial. It was delicious. Um, but other than steak, uh, the flavor, yeah, a lot of people talking about Kyler Murray. Obviously, once he decided, hey, I'm not going to play baseball, I'm going to stick to football. Yeah. That became the big story. The quarterbacks, obviously, uh, are a story. This seems like a very deep draft on the defensive side of the ball, so that might not be you know, as much of a priority. But, again, mm-hmm. the difference for the Giants' perspective between this year and last year, last year it seemed like Gettleman was pretty honed in on what he wanted to do, even at this point in the year. And it was almost like he was just going in to validate what he already thought and what his gut already knew. At this point right now, as far as what the Giants are going to do, it seems like there are a lot of options. There are a lot of ways yeah. that this thing could go, and it could play into you know what happens in free agency, what happens uh, you know in the coming days, and with you know the franchise tag and the options that this team has. So it's a little bit less clear, but it makes it a lot more fun because there's so much to watch out here and so many conversations to have. So many things could happen. When you have a chance to talk to some of the reporters and you know some of the people within the Giants front office this week, and you'll see a lot of those things again on the Giants social media Absolutely. accounts, Giants.com, what are some of the things you're going to try to get out of them, some of the things you're going to try to ask them to try to delve into a little bit? Well, we'll be talking with Aaron Wellman, the Giants strength and court, uh, strength coach, and you know the bench press obviously is a big element of the he combine. Runs that. He it, runs it. Which is basically like right over there. It's right us, there. The you yeah. guys can't see it because it's behind the <laughs> yes. camera, but it's right over there. And you know we're going to kind of talk to him about you know the difference. I mean, people talk about the measurables like a guy's arm length and all that kind of stuff which comes into play when you're defending or trying to you know swat a ball out but what about when you're bench pressing you know is it harder to bench press when you got long arms versus when you got short arms these are things that we're kind of curious about what goes into this kind of stuff we'll also be talking to some of the scouts Chris Pettit some of the scouts throughout the weekend to kind of see where they are and how they evaluate these guys as we have these conversations each year but you know every year things are different you know if you pop in a tape in the first tape you see of a guy is a great game is that setting the bar high and is it his you know praise to lose or how do you kind of keep the human element out of it and and look at these guys and there's a lot going on out here um we have a lot of conversations we have a lot of you know players to watch and get to know and that's the exciting part. Yeah, but if you find out who they're going to pick at six, it doesn't go on Snapchat. You come and tell John and me first. Yeah, yeah. No, Instagram. And that, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll put it on social media. That's why you have to get a Snapchat, Paul. you got to keep up. <laughs> Madeline, we appreciate it. Good luck this week, and we'll have you again tomorrow. End of the show tomorrow, right? Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to it. For Madeline Burke, for Paul Dottino, I am John Schmelk. You've been watching Big Blue Kickoff live on Giants.com. We'll be back tomorrow with another two-hour live show, and Friday as well from 12 to 2. Make sure you check it out. Plenty of big-time guests. Just a couple guys I'll mention. Dame Brugler will join us. Joe Corey, former NFL agent. Um, We're going to have Tom Rock with us. Tony Pauline. Jenny Ventress will be with us as well. And maybe some other surprises, too. So make sure you tune in again. We'll be live Thursday and Friday, 12 to 2 from the Combine in Indianapolis, breaking down everything with the NFL Draft. We'll see you then, everybody. Have an excellent day.